ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I caught up with Dan Trout. Vice President of Kong Valley Collective. We get into East versus West, sketchy ass tree stands, and his role with the KVC. So we're on with Dan Trout. Dan, thanks for taking time out of your evening, man, and sit down and give us a little bit on yourself and your outdoor life. Welcome. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to, and honor to be here, Thank for you. sure. Thank you. Honored to have you. So we'll just jump right into it, man. Why don't you give us a little intro and some background? Tell us about yourself. Well, great. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from the east side of the country. I know that's kind of maybe new to a lot of listeners out there. Um, I'm here to bring a little bit of spark and flair from the other side, I guess. Um <laughs> Really though, I'm I'm just a blue collar country boy when it when you break it all down. Um I I was born and raised in Maryland. Um lived there, went to college. Um actually went to college, got a degree in biology. My goal and passion was to go to veterinary school. Um my parents met through veterinarians. Um they kind of wanted my brother to become a doctor and me to become a veterinarian. Um, not so much to, they wanted what was best for us, but um, it's kind of crazy how they met as both working for veterinarians, my dad down in Florida, and my mom all the way up in Michigan. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, he would transport rescue greyhounds off the racetracks in Florida up to veterinarians in Michigan that were paying pretty penny. And uh, that's actually how they met, but enough about them. So their drive was to get me to go to vet school and do good for myself, something that they could not do. Um, so uh, 
thought long and hard all the way through school, you know, busted butt, got great grades, graduated with honors. And man, vet school's a tough nut to crack. It sure is. Um, but uh, the whole time trying to get into vet school, I really thought, what would I do with a veterinary degree? You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy giving vaccines and doing checkups and cleaning nasty dogs' ears out. I want to do something great. I want to do something different. So I was going to use the veterinary degree to actually go and relocate wildlife and do something great out in Yellowstone. That was, that was my plan. That was my goal in life. But um, things change. Things change. Now, after three years of applying to vet school, finally got in. But my driving passion just wasn't there anymore. Um, it kind of took a back seat in my life. And looking back, eh, it was unfortunate. But, hey, you know, everything happens for a reason. I've, I've always lived by that. Everything happens for a reason. Um, so now I live in Virginia. And, hey, uh, it's, I love where I live at. It's, it's a great place to live. I moved down here after getting out of undergrad, and I fell in love with the place. It's It reminded me of back home without all the hustle and bustle. Where I'm from in Western Maryland, it, it, it got very developed very quickly. A lot of the farms we used to play on as kids all started becoming big warehouses for Staples and FedEx and you name it. And uh, Virginia's not like that, at least where I'm at over here in uh, the Roanoke Valley, as we call it. So people like to think it's Roanoke or wherever, but hey, I'm situated in a great place in the Blue Ridge Mountains here. Got a nice big Smith Mountain Lake right down the road. Um, so it's a great place. And let's see a little bit more. Um, have a wonderful girlfriend. Um, she is very supportive in everything that I do and my hunting passion, obsession, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. It's an yeah. obsession, man. So what kind of it hunting, is. what kind of hunting do you have there in, uh, in Blue Ridge mountains? Well, we have a little bit of everything that you can get on the East coast. Um, predominantly whitetail, of course, that's the number one game species here. Um, the whitetail is definitely, definitely the thing. That everyone pursues the most but we have a we have a very large growing black bear population over here um black bear population is growing around nine to ten percent per year right now um and unfortunately we don't have a spring bear season over here which is very unfortunate we only have a fall, fall season, season which you can you can hunt multiple different weapons in their respective seasons, you know, from archery to muzzleloader to rifle. But one thing about Virginia, man, they really uh they really change things up as far as from counties to cities. I mean, there's so many different rules and regulations and I'm sure it's very similar with a lot of the zones and districts out in some of the western states, but um you know, you really have to be on top of your game. You really have to be on top of the the law book to make sure that you're doing everything by the book. So, uh, but other than that, you know, we do have besides the deer and the bear, um, we do have some pretty darn good 
turkey hunting around the area. And I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit more about turkey hunting later on, as opposed to the comparisons to elk hunting, because I know that's always <laughs> a good topic to talk about. And um, turkey season's coming up. At least, uh, you know, spring turkey's right around the corner for most people. So, yeah, that's a good topic. It is. It is. Yeah, those, those times are going to start really talking here in the next couple weeks. Um, I'm looking forward to it. That's that's the next big thing on the plate for me would be uh, turkey season for sure. But, you know, we do have a – we do have a good bit of other game as well. Um, rabbits, not so much, but man, the, there's, there's a lot of other fur bears out there. Um, anybody that has followed me along on Instagram can definitely see that I have a diverse population of different predators out there from bobcat to red fox to gray fox and man coyotes always in season i don't care if it's a deer hunt or a turkey hunt when that coyote shows up it becomes a coyote hunt you know? <laughs> That's so, right yeah so public land or is it a lot of private or how does that work there well we do have a large bit of public land and i don't know the exact square mileage of the public land but to all the listeners out there I do hunt both public and private. I'm not one of those guys that sits there and hunts as private land and nobody else can hunt on it and yada, yada. I'm not saying that I don't lease some land. Um, I'm not the proud land owner of a nice parcel of land yet, but every year I do hunt public. Um, and that's, that's a lot of seasons. That's I'll turkey hunt public and private. Um, and also in the fall, we always, I will always make sure to hunt out some public, um, just up the road a bit. And I got a good buddy that has some land that backs straight up to uh, about, I think it's six thousand acres of public land. So we we'll get over there and get up in that. And it's it's pretty secluded. He's got a great piece back there, and man, he drops some giants over his way every year every year he does so so and i'm not sure where it falls statistically but virginia um is only roughly about 10 percent public land which is crazy to think mm -hmm. right i mean virginia is not a huge state so i was looking that up right now i mean only 10 percent. so that that makes public land access well i guess it depends on how many how many acres are, are there as well but that's a that's a small drop in the bucket man it is. It is compared to a lot of the Western states. Uh, and really there's a lot of the, a lot of it to get access to is getting a lot harder to, to, to do. I, we, we hear about, and we talk about hunter decline, but I tell you what, I just don't see it where I'm at. I just don't see it. The, the people fight over the property and the land around here. Like, like it's theirs. It's theirs. It's, it's been handed down generation to generation. And hey, that's my stand in there, you know, and Virginia doesn't have a lot of those regulations and laws that require you to remove blinds or to remove tree stand on public land. Um, they encourage it, really. They, they want people to use the public land. That's what it's there for, you know, but um, they do limit a lot of things like um, 
ORV use and things on public land. They they frown upon that, of course, which I'm a big advocate of. I'm I'm not. Hey, you know, let's let's pack the thing out or let's get it out. So, so is Virginia one of those states where you can't uh, can't hunt on Sundays, or have they done away with that that law there? You can well. That goes back to the whole thing we were talking about there earlier with really watching out a lot of the different areas. So on public land, you cannot hunt on Sundays, but private land, you are available. It is available to hunt on Sundays. So, so that's, that's really increased the season for a lot of people, which is great. Um, with the deer population in Virginia, as it is now, um, we're looking at well over a million deer, um, 25 deer on average per square mile. That's mind blowing. That's, that's nuts. Um, I, I don't see that many deer when I'm out in the woods <laughs> on a normal day, but, uh, I'm glad somebody is. Um, but you also have to understand that a lot of those deer are also in a lot of the city municipalities as well. And a lot of the cities in Virginia also have their own laws and seasons and criteria for harvesting deer as well. So once you get in some of that, um, some of that city hunting, man, it's, it gets crazy, which I've never had the ability to get on. Um, there's a lot of very strict requirements and regulations that you have to follow or even get considered to hunt on some of those so to, to draw some of those tags but as far as the rest of the seasons we have a very liberal very very liberal in my opinion um bag limit per year um you can harvest five deer a year every fall um and two of the counties you can actually harvest six and I, fortunately for me i live in one of those two counties in Virginia. So yeah, we, we can definitely, we can definitely help out the deer population because it's growing exponentially over here for sure. Yeah. I wonder how long before that, that increase in the bear population starts to affect that. I mean, that's a pretty steady increase. Um, it is. that's, you know, that, that could get scary <laughs> real quick if they don't, you know, they don't look I like managing that. Absolutely. And I agree with you 100% on the bear population. And that's something that I wish they would take a little bit closer look at. And I'm sure that they are. You know, the wildlife biologists get paid to do a job. Um, but currently right now, it's one bear per season. That's it. One bear per year, pretty much. I'm sorry. One bear per year, not one bear per season. Right. That's and, same as same as here in California. We don't We don't have a spring bear season anymore that's right. unfortunate right It'd be nice but, to get uh, out there and harvest them two seasons man and they're rough they're rough chasing so can you guys use hounds on the bears or is it just yes uh, yeah okay yes well, at and least you got man, that opportunity that's that's amazing it really is um watching those dogs work is just it's great i mean i don't I don't know what it is about hunting, but to see a dog that's bred and designed to hunt is just, it's, it's great. I mean, everything from retrievers to, to your, uh, 
walker hounds to your plot hounds. I mean, these dogs and those bear dogs, man, that that they have one job and they have one focus in their life. And I've seen some dogs when I worked at a lot of vet hospitals over the years, of course. I've seen some some pretty tore up dogs. And you see some of the some of the country guys that bring some of these dogs in. And you think there's no way, there's no way he's going to pay for this dog to get fixed. I mean, the, the bear has just tore it apart and he finds a way because that's his number one dog. Even if that dog can never hunt again, that dog's bloodline is worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and, and that camaraderie you build with that animal. Um, absolutely right just through yeah. time and then you're sharing and that sounds that might sound a little weird right to somebody that doesn't get it but that camaraderie with that animal um you know when you're out in the woods man that that bond there i mean that's that's just as strong as you know going out with a couple hunting buddies oh absolutely absolutely yeah so yeah we do have hound hunting here um i've i've been out hound hunting one time um i was just there just for the experience, man, it, it's a rush. It really is a rush. Um, so, but speaking of black bear hunting, I did harvest my first black bear in 2017. Um, so thank you. Yeah, that was, that was an experience. Um, and Hey, that, that was, um, something that, something that my dad had always wanted to do. Um, he had gone to Maine several times to try to go with outfitters to try to get a black bear. And um, he was very particular. He was spending a lot of money to go up there. So, uh, but he, he never, he never harvested a black bear. And I did there in 2017, I harvested my first black bear. And fortunately for me, my brother was up hunting with me that weekend. So I got to share that experience with him. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it ranks right up there. I tell you, it ranks right up there with harvesting my first deer. I mean, I can remember everything that happened from the time I first saw that animal walk in until I heard that animal expire. So well, take it was us a there. great thing. Well, take us there. Let's, let's hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, it was, uh, it was actually the second weekend of the season. Uh, it was early October. Um, my brother had come up, like I said, and we, he's a bow hunter now. I kind of got him into bow hunting there a couple of years ago. So he came up and said, hey, man, and I, I had a piece of property that I leased. So I said, hey, man, you always got a place to hunt up here. My brother, he's in, from North Carolina. Um, so, well, he lives in North Carolina now. <laughs> But uh, we just went out like it was any other day. Um, didn't think about much about it. And I, whenever my brother comes and hunts with me, I've always said, look, this is the piece of property that I run. I manage it, but you can hunt whatever stand that you want to hunt. I, I don't care which stand you pick. I said, I'll pick a different stand. And that way I don't feel guilty if he doesn't see anything or have an opportunity to shoot at anything or whatever else the case may be. That's just me being a, a good little brother. Right. So, uh, he picked a stand. We got over there and I said, okay, well, I'm going to try this other stand. I, I haven't hunted this stand before. 
first time up in it. And, uh, man, it was just cracking light out. And it was a picture-perfect morning. Um, here in Virginia, we have pretty mild temperatures, especially in October. I know opening weekend it was hotter and blazes out. But uh, just a nice, cool morning. And right after sunup, um, the piece of property I had, they – it's got some logging roads on it and you almost have to hunt off the logging roads because they selected clear cut the property. It's uh it's pretty, it's pretty thick, but I'd had bears on the property. I knew that there were bears around the area, but uh, here come, here come one up over the, the ridge on that logging road. And I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? And granted it's, it's archery season now. It's, it's not, rifle or shotgun season or muzzleloader i mean you're there with a stick and string um regardless if it's a crossbow or a compound bow you know a bear's a bear's not something that you want to cross paths with but uh it came up over the ridge and i thought well we're gonna we're gonna give this one something (laughs) and it it kind of got, it was fortunately downwind of me the whole time, but I knew that I had several shooting lanes that I had cut out. And as it kind of got through a little bit of thick brush and foliage in a tree, got me the opportunity to get situated and ready. And man, that darn thing just didn't want to go in my next shooting lane. And I thought, man, I missed my opportunity. And I could still see the black through the leaves. And it started to walk away for a little bit and then it just turned around. There's something drawing it to me. I don't know what it was, but it came in then it was seven yards. I shot that bear seven yards away. Um, and it, it ran off. It, I'd never, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those that has buck fever. You know, you hear buck fever. I, I guess you guys have elk fever out there. <laughs> or the western I, hunters have elk fever. I got everything fever, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm as calm as a cucumber up until I take the shot. But as soon as that trigger gets pulled, man, I start shaking like a leaf on a tree. <laughs> and I, I'm glad that I was tied into that tree because it it was a small it was a small platform, a small hang on stand that I was using. In there, it was a great spot, obviously, but man, I was shaking so bad. And uh, I've I've always heard, you know, when when those bears when they when they expire, they always leave out that death moan. And it did. It ran down there about forty yards, and I heard the most god awful noise in the world. And where we hunt at, it's all rolling hills, man. It just echoed down through the valley. And I, man, it just sent shivers up your spine. I was like, oh, my gosh, what just happened, you know? And, uh, you know, this day and age with cell phones and all, that's how we communicate tree stain. And uh, I texted my brother. I said, did you hear that? He goes, hear what? I said, well, what, what are you doing, sleeping? I mean, I know he's up on the ridge on up above me. I said, you? You didn't hear that. He said, no, I didn't hear that. I said, man. So from where I was seven yards, I could take a picture. I was shooting. uh, 
I was shooting a crossbow, and we'll talk about the reason why I had a crossbow later on because that, that's a big no-no for a lot of people. But um, I was shooting lighted knocks on my bolt, so I took a picture of it, and I sent it to him. He said, what was that? What did you shoot? I said, well, I said that's probably what you heard. I said, I shot that bear. Ah, of course, he's in denial, you know. He, he goes, it's too early, you know, it's too early. I said, well, I'm going to give about an hour. I said, I'm going to get down. I said, you hunt as long as you want. I said, I don't know what we're going to do, where it's at, or how we're going to get it out of here, but we got us a bear. So uh, I got down out of the stand finally, um, and there was so much dew on the leaves and all the blood had just splattered just washed across all the leaves so as i'm following the blood trail down this old logging road um i'm just mesmerized i actually had, had heart punched it as i like to call it that bear and um that's why she, it was a sale she didn't go very far and uh she she scared me she really did she startled me because i'd walked almost right up to her i was looking at the blood and not looking up like I should have been doing. And man, she, I was startled. You know, I'd never been that close to a bear before. So, uh, but it, it was, it was very rewarding. It was very relieving. Um, one thing about me is I've, I've always looked up to and respected my dad. Um, he made me the person that I am, the man that I am, the hunter that I am. And uh, that was, like I said, something that he was unable to fulfill that, that man, it was, it was a great experience. And uh, I always look back at that and have very fond memories of it, for sure. So, uh, and got it done for both of you in a respect. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely did it for both of us. So that, that, and, death, that death moan, man, I think it was either 2003. 13 or 2014 i've always gotten a bear tag right and it's just kind of been a opportunistic deal right i've never never pulled the trigger on one and in 2013 mm-hmm. 2014 we're up in the sierras here and <laughs> i don't even know if i want to put this out there so <laughs> i break off from break off from the guys i was hunting with and uh had this little area picked out and i go set up on this stump and it uh, was overlooking a clearing and there was some some game trail right and Right at mm-hmm. first light, man, it, it just, it was really weird, right? Sun come up and then all of a sudden the wind is just blowing right in. I mean, just as strong as you could imagine. The leaves start going and everything, I mean, just blowing that wind is coming up that hill. And off off to my left, down the hill. So if I'm, I'm facing, I'm facing south and then I'm going to call that... I'm going to call that the 10 o'clock position about 180 yards away. I see this bear running up the hill and, uh, I mean, just a beautiful, the, the hair, it almost, the description is kind of screwy, but it was like watching like a movie, right. And the, and the, and the girl's running on the beach and her hair is bouncing, right. And she's running in (laughs) like virtual slow motion there. And that's how that bear looked to me. Right. So I get this bear in my sights, long story short, it gives me a shot. I take the shot on the, on the run and that death moan that that bear let out freaked me out, man. It, it pushed me, it pushed me almost 200 yards away. When that, when that bear did that, I was shooting a, a single shot Thompson center 
and mm-hmm. I put that sucker down next to me, man. I pulled out my sidearm, racked one in the chamber, because I'm like, oh man, I just screwed up, right? Because the ground shrinkage on right. the bear is is phenomenal. And uh, I, I thought I shot a cub because I'm like, that had to be a sow that heard that shot. And she's going to be up here real quick. <laughs> man, I, yeah. I backed out as, as stealthy as I could. And I, for 45 minutes, man, I just watched, I watched that bear just lay there. And it was, it was a done deal. And to this day, man, I look back on there and I just, all I could think is chicken shit. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that death yep. moan is something. I mean, it just goes yeah. through you. And after that, I was it like, does. man, I don't know that I ever need to hunt bear again after that experience. It was something, yeah, it was something just way different than shooting a cervid man it's something else but i i always laugh at myself on that story throw my two cents in on your on your uh story there yeah yeah it's it's, something else it'll it definitely is something that'll definitely shake you for sure for sure well it's funny because i knew there were bears in the area um i i've hunted in virginia well let's see i've moved down to virginia back in uh, 2011. So I've been down here for almost eight years now, I guess. Um, I'm sorry, 2001. Wow. Yeah. 18 years. I've lived in Virginia for 18 years. Um, but that, um, bears haven't been something that I've, I've come across or most people don't come across too often in the woods. You know, I always tell my brother, Hey, when you come up and buy your license, buy your bear tag, man. I got a lot of bears, um, on the property. And he's like, nah, nah, no, it's, it's $260 for out of state tag or a non-resident bear tag. And I understand. He said, well, how many bears have you seen? And I said, well, I've, I shot one when you were here last time, you know, but, um, I've seen a fair number of bears. When I first went and scouted this property before I signed a lease on it, Um, I met with the gentleman and, uh, he had given me a a map of the property. And now with all the GPS on the cell phone and all the different apps that you can use, um, I'm not going to name drop any because there's just so many out there. But I, as he said, you know, here, here's a key to the, the gate. Here's a map. You look at the property and let me know what you think. So that's what I did one afternoon. I, I got off of work and I just, I walked the property and I'd got way down in the middle of this thicket. I mean, I was as far away from the truck as possible. Let's put it that way. And I could hear something working its way up the ridge below me. I was like, what is that? So of course, what do you do? You just find a tree and just, you have to see what it is. You know, it's definitely not a squirrel or some birds moving around in the underbrush. It's something with some weight. And at that time, here come out, here stepped out a nice big bear. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it was 20 yards from me and I'm standing up next to this tree like, okay, let me just go ahead and get my hand over here on my sidearm because, hey, it's the first time on the property. I don't know what might be out there, who might be out there. I thought, and from that moment that I came across that bear, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to get this property and see what we can do this fall. And, uh, it was, it was the experience there. I've experienced plenty of, um, 
bears. I've experienced more bears on the ground scouting than I have actually while I've been in the tree stand there. So, uh, but they're definitely there. Virginia bear are no joke. Um, I I was doing some research after I shot that bear because they here in Virginia they'll pull they'll pull one of the teeth, which is required so they can do all the research to get an age of the bear. And um, when I got it back, it was it was a six year old bear. A um, couple regrets I have from that are one, I didn't get a lot of pictures with it. Two, the check station is didn't have a scale, so I couldn't weigh that bear. Um, those are two of the biggest regrets that I have with that because that was a heck of an experience. But um, to see some of the ages on some of the bears that come out of Virginia is remarkable. I mean, there's multiple, multiple bears. If you look down through the results after the Virginia Department of Game and in the fisheries post those ages, you'll have multiple bears over 20 years old. Some of them up 26, 28 years old. And you think, holy cow. You know, that's that's an old that's an old legend right there. That's that bears seen a lot and been around for a lot. So um it's always cool right there in the springtime when the bears start showing up again on the cameras again because you kind of miss them. You don't miss them too much, but you kind of miss seeing them. Um, I've lost quite a few trail cameras to bears for sure over the years. Um, seems like those adolescent bears always love to, to chew on them and beat them up and knock them around and do whatever they do. I guess they just don't like the picture taken. I don't know. <laughs> so you brought up a couple things, man. Um, yeah. <clears throat> one, you said shaking like a leaf. I'm a Western guy, right? So if you're sitting up in a tree stand, man, um, you are a leaf, <laughs> right? From from what you hear, yeah. right? Um, I I sent you I sent you a little something um, that we laughed about in sissy ass tree stand hunting. So sissy ass tree stand There is some there is some misconceptions, I believe, when it comes to tree stand hunting, um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of necessity right i mean the the spot and stock on the white tails um is is a pretty rough go <clears throat> and then secondly the thing you brought up is you said you had your firearm on you because you never know who you're going to see um you think about some of that uh you know eastern seaboard states there in the mountains um and we got that television show moonshiners so one break down the tree stand hunting and two you ever come across any good shine <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so the second one, um, I don't know. No, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, sissy ass tree stand hunters, huh? Well, it's funny. Yeah, we we joked about that yesterday there on because I, I got a good chuckle out of that. That, that was a good topic. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tree stand hunting, it, I, I don't know any hunting other than tree stand hunting, to be honest with you. Um, I, I will say that this past season, I did spot and stalk deer on multiple occasions, multiple occasions, um, because I had a good idea as to where they were. 
and I did play the wind and the terrain features in my favor. And did I pull the trigger? No, because they weren't exactly what I was looking for. But spot and stalk is possible. But man, tree stand is tree stands the way to go. It just it is um, being elevated. Um, I, that's that's what I really live for. And it's funny. Um, the past two days, I've been out in the woods scouting both the days, past days. Uh, my schedule's kind of nuts. I work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so my weekend, I'm in the heart of my weekend right now. Um, but as I'm scouting this time of the year and scouting new properties, I'm looking for that tree that tree that's going to say, Hey, I, I need a stand in it because I'm in a good location. Um, but you know, it's, it's possible. It's possible to sit in glass. It's possible to, to spot and stalk whitetail, but your chances are decreased significantly. If you go that route for sure, for sure. The one thing the tree stand hunting has provided me the most is I go with the three P's, patience, persistence, and perseverance. Those are my three P's for tree stand hunting. You know, you you have to be patient. You just never know when that deer is going to show up or when that bear is going to show up. Um, You have to learn to have patience. And that's one thing. Now, when it comes to turkey hunting, though, I, I'm a running gunner. I, I can't sit still when I'm turkey hunting. I, I guess I get it out of my system in the spring, so come fall, you know, I'll put 13 hours in that stand. I'll be there before sunrise, and I'll be there. I go in in the dark, and I come out in the dark. Um, of course, I don't like to stay that long. I want to be able to get something in that time, but... You know, there's there's hours and hours that you spend in there, and it really makes you appreciate, for me at least, it makes me appreciate what I have and the ability that I have to go hunt. Um, you sit up there and you, you think about so many things while you're sitting in the stand, you know. Am I in the right spot? Am I in the bad spot? Did I put this stand in the right location? Where are the deer at? And then you think, you try to just flush all that out of your head and just realize that this is a hell of a lot better than sitting in work right now. You know, what else would you be doing right now? Honey you know? <laughs> <laughs> True. True. And, uh, but that's, that's the one, the one thing about, that I've really learned about tree stand hunt. It just, man, it's, it is the best way for, to be successful in the field. It really is. Um, now I got a buddy and if you saw his, the wall in his house and realized that he doesn't hunt out of tree stands, you'd be like, well, why the heck do you need a tree stand? That dude, now granted, he's an ex Marine Corps sniper, but that dude, will put up a ground blind in a matter of five minutes and be completely concealed. And he just loves hunting off the ground. I mean, that's his way. So if you're not tree stand hunting for whitetails, you're, you're, you're hunting out of a blind. And that guy is remarkable 
I love hunting with him. He's one of my best friends. Um, and Jimmy is just, you, I've learned so much from him over the years of hunting together, but, um, he's the same way. You, you have to do something that's going to get you out of that line of sight because, well, we don't talk, we don't talk to the deer like people call, talk to the elk, you know? I mean, that's the main thing about it. You know, scouting is definitely the key when it comes to, to Eastern hunting. I mean, at least for me, it is. You have to know how and where to put your stand up. If it's going to be a good spot, are you going to see anything? Um, and it's a chess match. It really is a chess match. How can you outwit that deer? Um, but of course, it doesn't hurt to be lucky as well. Right. That's a big. That's a big part of all hunting. I mean, the way and the, and the reason that I phrased it right, sissy ass tree stand hunting, um, was one to poke fun at you a little bit and have some fun. But but yeah. To contrast, I I mean, it's the same end, right? I mean, we're out there. You you know, as an eastern hunter, you have to put in the work. Um, out here in the west, you got to put in the work. It's it's all the same end, right? I mean, it's you know, right. killing those lines right. and having some fun with it. So, are you guys, are you guys rattling? Are you using grunt tubes, or is that all a, another misconception? It it depends on the hunter, to be honest with you. It really does. Um, some guys will just go buck wild with their antlers and their grunt tubes. Others are a little bit more subdued and quiet. Um, I play the I play the season. I play what the deer are doing or how they're acting. Um, I'm not huge on the rattling antlers because I've only seen smaller bucks spar just a handful of times. I, I've never seen two Goliaths going at it like it's the last stand, you know. Um, so I, I like to tickle the antler some, but I don't I don't go full bore crashing them together and and uh, going all out war on them. Um, grunt tubes, um, snort weeds, and a little bit of uh, estrus is, does not hurt at all. I I, I like all of them. I use uh, the combination call just for ease. And actually, I just got a new one. I believe in one of those subscription boxes. I'm not going to say the name because I may have a couple of them that I subscribe to. <laughs> but uh, I just got a new call in the in one of the boxes last month. Man, it, I love it. I already love it. So I can't wait to put it out there and and, and work with a little bit more this fall. Mm-hmm. See what it does. But um, yeah, absolutely. And then okay, absolutely. so back back to it, right? You just said a few things. Um, you know, talking about playing the season and, and, you know, really understanding what the deer are doing. And I mean, that's elk hunting right there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you could be out in the woods and bugling or cow calling and, you know, listening to what they're saying to give them that response. So again, just chopping it down, man, all the same end, right? Whether it's Western hunting or hunting down South or, you know, back there in, uh, in the Blue Ridge mountains of Virginia, it's all the same end, man. That's right. So that's right. Your 2018 season, man. Six deer tags. How many did you fill? Eesh. I filled three. I filled three of the six. I filled three of the six. Um, you know the highs. 
the highs and the lows. Um, we can start with the lows. The lows, I, I, I didn't, I didn't put down a nice buck. I didn't put down a buck that was on the hit list in 2018. Um, that would be my biggest low. Um, I did miss my biggest archery buck to date this past season. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but I, I just flat out missed. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. And that's, uh, it was, it was tough. It was a tough pill to swallow. I, I just watched that arrow sail right underneath of them. And I, I got the distance wrong is really what it was. Um, that buck came down off a ridge above me and he was, he was reading the script, man. It, it was just too perfect. I'd put the stand in the exact location it needed to be. Um, he was going to come down and step out at 20 yards. And the only problem was, is he was eye level with me and I'm 23 feet up in a stand. Um, he was eye level with me as I got a glimpse of him and like an idiot, I reached for the bow off the hanger and, uh, he didn't, he didn't spook, but he didn't come on his normal route. He kind of hung up in some thick laurel and kind of poked around at some acorns that were up there. We had a very marginal acorn crop at best over here. Um, but uh, I had a feeling that he was going to work back down and present me a shot later on. And, um, I don't, I don't know how y'all do it out there. I've never, I've never elk hunted. I'm not saying I'm never going to, I have not elk hunted yet. Um, but when I get in the stand prior, one of my preseason, uh, rituals after you hang a stand is you come back and you'll cut out a couple shooting lanes. You don't want to expose yourself too much, but to shoot out a couple little pockets. So, okay, if the deer's there, there, you know, you give yourself a couple of different opportunities to hope that the deer gets, gets in one of them. Um, and then after you get that, then you take your range finder and you get yourself a couple of different yardages through each lane and you, you mentally remember, okay, this is how far it is to there and there. Well, I knew that there was earlier that day when I'd gotten in the stand, I'd, I'd marked a big leaf on the ground that was 30 yards to that leaf. I was like, okay, I can remember that. That's easy. I mean, it was a ginormous leaf. I don't even know what kind of leaf it is. I don't know must have been on steroids or something that tree was because it was as bigger it was bigger in your head so it was easy to remember and that buck came cruising down off a sharp incline to a little flat he was in my shooting lane and he finally stopped just before he's getting ready to get out of there i gave him the old murp and he stopped and looked around and i was like there he is, right there at that leaf, 30 yards. Held the pin on him and just watched that arrow just sail right underneath of him. And I didn't see him the rest of the season. He he was he didn't want to he didn't want to play after that. He was done. Um but hey, you know, those those are the one of those things that 
you learn, hey, guess what? There was another big leave out there too. And he was actually out there at 43 yards. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So you did what you thought was right. But at the end of the day, hey, it didn't all come together. But that was probably the low point of the season. Um, like I said, I did I did fill three tags this year. Um, I did uh, – I actually went and harvested uh, – my first year on public land in a couple years. Um, every year, a couple buddies and I get together and we do a what we call hunting camp. It's uh, it's a guys it's a guys weekend or a long weekend to get away. Um, that's what we do. We we've, we've been doing it now for several years, and it's hunting camp, but it's not hunting camp. It's not backcountry hunting camp. It's more Eastern. We're going to, we're going to throw a little Eastern flair on the hunting camp, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, it's a nice state park. Uh, it's about an hour and a half from me. Um, it's situated on a big, huge lake. I mean, it's a beautiful place and they, they have camping there year round. Well, they have camping there year round, but it's the, it's dry camping from, November until March or something like that. But uh, we always go up there the third weekend of October. We hunt hard on our properties the first couple weeks. And then we're like, okay, let's give it a little break. Let's go somewhere. So we started doing this a couple years back. Um, and you camp in the state park, but it's all national forest behind you. Once you get past the, the campground boundaries, I mean, it's all national forest. I mean, it's it's wild and woolly up there. It's beautiful. Um, and I, because of my work schedule and theirs, um, I get out a little bit. I had a day up on them. So I was up there before them and was able to put a, was able to put a doe down before they even got into camp. They were both at work because they, they work together. Um, and I'm sending them pictures of a doe and they're, you know, screw you. This is BS. <laughs> yeah. We hate you. Yada, yada, yada. But, uh, so I did that and then they made it up the next morning. Um, I slept in the next morning cause it was right cold for the season. And, uh, then camp was back in session. You know, it was, it was a good old time. So telling stories, sitting around the campfire, you know, Cooking up backstrap that just was put down, all that stuff. Wearing um, your crown for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, that was short lived. Oh, was that it? That was short lived. <laughs> yeah, they made it up the next day. We all hunted that Thursday evening together, and Friday morning. I missed another one on that Friday morning. I missed a nice, a decent buck. I'd say a shooter buck. We call them. We have different classifications depending on the people around here, but uh, I missed the shooter buck Friday morning. Um, and I kind of went back to camp with my tail tucked between my legs, but that's okay. Cause nobody else had got one yet. You know, it's, it's all good. It's all good. And then, um, Friday night was my last night there. And the one, the one guy at camp, um, my real good buddy's nephew, he said, uh, man, I ain't seen a deer all year. You know, I say, man, it's only the third week. You know, don't don't beat yourself up because yeah, I've been putting the time in. So I just don't get it. So I thought, turned to my my good buddy there, Jimmy. I said, hey man, 
I said, you know that persimmon patch up there? He goes, yeah. I said, I know that's your hot spot, your honey hole. I said, why don't we let JJ hunt up there tonight? I said, I'll hunt just down down the ridge from him a little bit. He goes, man, I think that's a good idea. He needs something to boost him up a little bit. Now, this poor JJ, now I'll say shaking like a leaf in a tree. That boy, he starts shaking as soon as he hears a stick crack. I mean, he is he is a trip. He is the boy. He always has a smile on his face. He always just loves being in the woods. But man, he just he hunting runs in through his veins. And uh, so we told him exactly where to go. We said, "Look, this is where you need to go to. This is the tree. We even knew the tree that he needed to." to sit in and granted this is only a place that we hunt one weekend out of the year but we put enough time in that we were we knew where to go and and jimmy or jj i'm sorry he always hunts out of climbing stands he has a a summit climber and that's his go-to that's his baby right there and uh told him what stand to climb and man just just give it time he hadn't been in that stand for 30 minutes and he he put it. He double lunged a nice a nice nine point for public land around here. I mean, he was he was a beauty. He really was. And I shot a doe that evening, last light. Um, I was doing the same thing, but I was further on down. I knew that the deer. I'd watched them the previous two days, worked across this ridge out of this clearing. And I knew there's some couple persimmon trees out in this clearing that they were still rummaging around and finding some scraps around on the ground. So I knew where to set up later on. I was like, well, this won't be too far from him up there. And last light there, I shot that doe and I see this headlamp bebopping down the trail. And I was like, that's got to be JJ coming. I was like, well, that's good, man. He's just in time to help me drag this one back to camp. Like, man, that light is moving slow. Well, he was dragging that big nine point behind. <laughs> I was like, why didn't why didn't you say something? You know, why didn't why didn't you just come on back? He goes, Man, I didn't want to ruin your hunt. I just I just couldn't do it. I didn't want to ruin your hunt. I just I drug it halfway back here and I I just sat there with it because I was just in shock. You know, it was his biggest archery buck to date, which was good for him. You know, that was one of the biggest highs of this past season for me was helping him with that buck as well. So uh, that came a week after I missed my biggest archery buck. But, hey, I'm, I was happy to see him with that. That was great. That's a nice um, buck, man, nine point. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So what's a legal buck back there? Well, there we go back to those whole rules and regulations and everything here. The county issue. Um, county issue, countywide. Now, that county that we were hunting up there in our public land, that's um, – that's a county called Rockbridge County, mm-hmm. and they they have a two buck limit per year. So most counties in the state have a two buck limit. You can shoot two bucks of your five tags. The other three have to be does. Um, now the two counties that offer six deer, it's three bucks and three does. A lot of counties also have a, a new criteria out called earn a buck, where if you shoot a buck, you have to shoot a doe before you can shoot another buck, um, which that does help as well because you're helping thin out that population a little bit. Now, Rockbridge County up there, they have they take it a step further. You can shoot two bucks 
but one of your two bucks has to have at least four antler points or scorable antler points greater than an inch on one, on one beam. So that's something new that they've put out here the past couple of years. Um, like I said, I've only been hunting up there for four years now, so I don't know how long it's been issued, but as long as I've been hunting up there, it's been like that. So that's, um, you know, they're trying different things. They're trying ways to help manage this population around here, which is good. But, um, it's, something's gotta happen. The problem is you can call your deer in nowadays. And, I, I unfortunately feel that a lot of people just call in random deer just so they can shoot that second buck. You know what I mean? I, I, I've heard stories of guys that they'll shoot a buck and then, well, here comes a bigger buck by. I'm not going to let him walk because I haven't shot a doe yet. So, but, um, but yeah, there, a lot of times you can shoot, you can shoot two deer a day um, in a lot of the areas. So that's something else that, that helps, but it's not necessary, I guess, all the time. Yeah, that's so. a luxury we have out here too much. I mean, we're, you know, at, at least in California, we get two tags. And uh, we don't, there's not many tags that offer, you know, taking a doe. There's some archery, either sex tags, and there's some youth mm-hmm. hunts for does. But, man, for the most part, that yeah, that opportunity just not not here in this state. I mean, you can shoot five does if you want to, to be honest with you. You can shoot five does, and that's, I shot three does last year. Now, two of them were up there, and another one was here in my home county. Um, but, uh, yeah, that. The does are the does are. They like you to kill the does. Really, they they want you to harvest those, and not focus on the antlers so much, you know, because so many people are consider are are interested in that. So, but also 2018. Um, like I said, I had a solid year. Would say it was a great year. Um, I had higher expectations for 2018 than I did, especially after coming off of 2017. Um, but my brother was able to, to connect with a buck when he came up and hunted with me. One of the times he came up and hunted with me this past year, which is always good. Um, I always get a kick out of him. He, every time I hunt with him, there's a story because of just who he is. You know, he's, he's my older brother. And he'll probably listen to this podcast. But there's always a story um, with him. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, cracking that limb with the arrow. Or, hey, man, there's a buck just bedded down behind me. What should I do? Well, if, if you like it, shoot it, man. You know, just just shoot it. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you otherwise, you know. Or, man. I was on my cell phone and next thing I know, I look up and there's deer walking in and I went to grab my bow and she caught me and, and I was like half draw. So I had to shoot sitting down and well, what'd you do? Well, I, I shot her. Well, where'd you hit her? I don't know. Oh. And we followed, <laughs> we followed blood for two hours and I finally gave up. And, uh, I caught a picture of that doe. I believe I'm positive. It was that same doe. It was a big doe. Um, she had a big scar right on right on her shoulder blade. So uh so uh it wasn't a, a, a mortal hit. 
but uh, we we did our due diligence. So that was that was the important part there. But yeah, so 2018 was 2018 was challenging to say the least. Um, I dealt with some some trespassers on the property that I leased, uh, or I say leased because I don't know that I'm going to lease it in 2019. I want to, but the price keeps going up and the property's not producing quite as much as I would like it to. Um, and the fact that uh, there's a lot of people coming in there that shouldn't be on the property, even though it's posted, doesn't help the situation at all either. So, uh, but when you set the bar pretty high for yourself, it's a little bit more frustrating when you don't hit that. So, uh, you know, 2017, I got three different bucks with three different weapons, um, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle or shotgun. So uh, it's it's tough to come off of that and a bear. So it's tough to come off a season like that and and uh ah. Yeah, that that Filled is hard. Yeah, I you mean, know? yeah, three three deer in that freezer is not a bad season, man, in my opinion. But yeah, it is rough to come off of a off of a high season and feel like it's a low one the next. Um, that that's a rough one, right? But those expectations kind of kick us and make us uh, remember <laughs> that uh, yeah, we, we we're not always the apex out there. As much as we That's want right. to believe it, you know. That's so right. let's get into yep. a little bit, man. Um, you're the VP of Kong Valley. This is a collective episode, so why don't you give us a little bit about uh, Kong Valley and your part and contribution to Kong? Kong Valley, the Kong Valley Collective. Um, yes, I am the VP. Um, prior to that, I guess when we were first kind of, or Jonathan was kind of first kind of distributing or giving us all roles or titles. Um, I was the chief strategy officer. Um, that kind of dissolved into the vice president role, but that's a large contribution that I have with the, with the Kong Valley Collective. Um, I, I'm all about trying to come up with different things and brainstorming and coming up with ideas that, Maybe Jonathan's overlooking because his mind's being pulled a hundred different ways at five times a second, you know? Um, so I'm there to try to, to give him different perspectives, different insights on things um, that he may or may not see. I know that we were talking about something today. He goes, man, that's a, that's a great idea. He goes, oh, why, why I didn't think about that. I said, because you overlook little things that I, you know, cause I'm, I'm not on 30 or 40 calls a day, you know, but, um, along with that, I'll, I will help out with a lot of the, as I told him today, secretarial skills or secretarial <laughs> jobs, the clerical stuff. Somebody's got to um, do it. Someone's got to do it. That's right. <laughs> he said, you know, I, I'm going to have a bunch more stuff coming up that we're going to have to be typing up this and doing that. And I said, okay, yeah, just, just let me know which, what you need. You know, that's, I, I got it. I can handle that. Just let me know. But the problem is, is he wants, he's so detail oriented, which I am as well, that it takes about seven to 10 revisions until we finally can agree upon a final draft on something. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I kept shaking my head every time, you know, we, uh, 
we we recently launched our website and we were coming up with uh, descriptions of some of the products on there and I would come up with a draft and I sent it to him and he sent it back and said no I like this and I said well what about this and I kind of combined the two he said no we need and it just kept going back and forth back and forth <laughs> and finally I said you know what if you're happy with it I'm happy with it I'm, I'm tired of it tired of arguing over it you know but uh, it's good though because we we want to give a good impression that's that's the key to it is um, the impression that's got to be there through our media through everything that we do we want people to be drawn to what we're doing you know and that's that's the first and most important part that I see with it so so what's the um, what's the draw right for for someone who may have not heard you know the first collective episodes what's the draw what are we trying to achieve with kong valley you know we're trying to get more people to be involved and appreciate and be as passionate about the outdoors as we are um and that's not necessarily possible in the to the degree that some of us are um when i look at myself and i look at the I would be lost if I couldn't go out here and and go scout in the woods or go hike or go hunt. Um, and I'm not expecting everybody to be maybe that passionate, but find your passion and build upon it. Take it and drive it forward. You know, that's what I want to see. We want to see people use their voice. I know that was one of the bullet points as well. Use your voice. Spark that, you know, tell your story so you can maybe spark that fire in somebody else. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to share our experiences, our knowledge, our passion for the outdoors to try to get other people as well involved in the outdoors. Because, man, it's therapeutic. To me, it really is therapeutic. Uh, There's nothing else that I enjoy more. Um, of course I do love going to the beach with my girlfriend. Um, I love going out to the lake and just hanging out, but there's something about that time spent in the woods where I just get lost. I, I can't get away from, it. you know, even today I said, I'm on a schedule. I have to get out of here by a certain time out of the woods today because I got to go do X, Y, and Z and, Next thing I know, I'm still hiking through the woods looking for shit. <laughs> and I thought, man, I have to go. I have to get going. Um, but that's what we want to do. We want to we want to help bring that out in people to 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 share what you got, you know. So uh, I think it really it really clicked with Jonathan and I there. You know, I'd say it's about a year ago. Um, we first started talking through social media there and the, the guy just, his passion for elk is my passion for whitetail. It really is. Um, and the guy or, or even Luke and Luke and Rev's passion for elk, you know, I have to watch, I have to keep my eye on Luke because, Hey, I, 
He's he's starting to step on some toes there with all of his giant whitetail that he's shooting was, today. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, it, <laughs> we, he actually owes me a uh, uh, Africa episode, and uh, we're supposed to talk some whitetail because I hear he's knocking those whitetail yeah. the hell out. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but no, you know when I when I found out that Jonathan was so passionate about, it, and then he started telling me about Kong Valley. And he goes, this, this is something I've always wanted to do. He goes, but there's something about you, Dan, that, that just inspires me. He goes, it, it makes me want to become a better hunter. It makes me want to do more outdoor stuff. I said, well, you already do. He goes, but maybe not at the level that you do. Because, man, I, rarely is there a single week out of the year that I'm not in the woods and when I say in the woods, it's more than just stepping in the woods because I could step out my back door and be in the woods, you know, where I'm spending several hours scouting, checking trail cameras, you know, tweaking a tree stand set or something like that. Because, man, I, I just want to you're, – you're passionate, man. You're passionate. That's what I like. He said, we need to, we need to find a way to, to spread this passion along, spread this what, – what drives us to be better. And um, I was like, okay, man. He said, but I told him, I said, well, I'm not sure what Kong Valley is, Jonathan. What's Kong Valley? You know, and I, I know you talked about the Rev about it the other day, and, and we, we all heard about that. And the mythical Kong, the one that, that the superior, the one that you will try your entire life to try to get, but push yourself to get it. And then uh, I said, but, Jonathan, it's like a collective, you know, it's, it's a collective of like-minded people that have their own drive and passion, whether that be hiking and, and, and camping or elk hunting or whitetail hunting or duck hunting or hog hunting or fishing. I mean, we cover a lot of it. We cover a lot of it with all of our different uh, levels of expertise. So. Um, it's great. It's great. It's really cool to see how much it's evolved since the idea idea first kind of was presented. That's so, uh, that's one of the things that stands out to me. You know, just a little bit of time I've been talking to to John and you and Luke and Rev, um, and getting these episodes laid down is how fast you guys were able to take this idea and translate it to, you know, boots on the ground for the lack of a better phrase, um, and really take action. And then the diversity in it is, I think even more impressive in my head, right? I mean, you know, to talk, you know, you said John's passion for elk, you know, you're, you're hunting whitetails, right? Never done a Western hunt. You got Jimmy Glazer. Mm -hmm. I talked to Jimmy, um, you know, he's a whitetail hunter a couple states over from you um, that's traveling out to do the Western hunt. So there's there's such a diverse group of guys involved with this. And I think I'm just on the tip of the iceberg. Right. This is episode five with you with this collective. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what's coming next, man. So what's the importance of that diversity um, with with Kong Valley? The diversity is to help crush all the different realms, in my opinion. 
you know, it's it's to to bridge all those gaps. That's that's I guess the better thing that we're trying to find there. It's to bridge those gaps. Whether you are a an elk hunter or whether you're a whitetail hunter or whether you're a mule deer hunter, you know, I mean I hate to say it, but darn Luke does it all. (laughs) Well, he's kind of right in the middle, right? Yeah. He's sitting kind of in the middle there. Yeah. I might have a man crush on you. uh, I think a lot of people do after that episode, man. And some of those posts, geez, Louise, man. You saw that video uh, he posted where, you know, he's, he's like, oh, that's, you know, him and Brady, they're on a hunt. And he's like, no, that's not our bull. I mean, what dude passes on a six by six elk, man? You're, (laughs) you're a beast of a man. I know I couldn't do it. Sheesh. But, um, the, the diversity is really something that we thought was paramount. Um, because when Jonathan reached out to me and then, we kind of found Jimmy and then we kind of found Rev all up in there. It's well, we're covering a good chunk of it, but there's still other criteria. There's other things that we're, we're kind of missing. So we found, um, Colleen, who's a big duck hunter as well. Um, and, and, um, she could get us some other content and some other viewpoints on things that, Hey, I'm not familiar with Jonathan. I don't, I don't know that he's ever duck hunted before. Um, I, I've upland game hunted. I've, I've done some other things like that, but I've never per se duck hunted. Um, so it was another thing. Hey, duck hunting gets you outdoors. Um, then we have Clayton down there in Texas who is shooting some beautiful whitetail as well. Man, would I love to hunt Texas sometime as well to get after some whitetail. But, um, you know, you have Clayton that can also get along into some some uh, feral hog hunting and things like that, some javelina, um, some other exotic species as well. So, man, Texas, it's a, it's a nation within a nation. Yeah, it is. You know? I mean, good Lord. It's kind of like going to Wyoming for me. I mean, there's just so many game species out there. Um, but the diversity was important to the growth of Kong Valley um, to get other people involved. And to show everybody um, that, hey, we're not just about hunting. You know, we have Lena that's in there that is, man, she's awesome when it comes to a lot of the content that she produces. I mean, pictures are astounding. So uh, we we really we really are trying to, to look forward. And um, we're constantly, believe it or not, where there's always more room for people um, in the legends. I mean, we're always we're always still looking forward to some other people that have something to bring to the brand. Um, Shay's another one. Um, I don't know if you'll ever have a talk chance to talk to Shay, um, but what she does is just crazy. You know, with the guides that she does, the guided hunts and everything else that she does. It's just, it's a dream for so many people, but for her, it's a way of life. So uh, congrats to her on that. Um, and then we have a lot of other great, very, very knowledgeable people on as far as some of the other legends is too. So, hey, hats off to everybody there. But diversity was always something that we wanted to, to crush. As as long as I can remember, it was something. I guess as 
is when Jonathan said, hey, is this something you'd be interested in being a part of? Right there, that started the diversity because I've never hunted elk and he's never hunted whitetail. So uh, there we go. So, I mean, that brings us full circle to the conversation earlier, right? Back to sissy-ass tree stand hunting and, and the misconceptions. And, you know, I, I know that you guys back back east call us uh, Western hunters, Westies. Well, Guy, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I have a couple tree stands. And uh, if you think that you want to ever come out here and hunt in one of my tree stands, come on over here. And uh, we'll put you to we'll put you through some steps and see if you can actually get up in it. A, yeah, get up in it. <laughs> yeah. There's, B, if you'd be comfortable. You know? That's that's the thing, right? And I don't. For me, you know, there's there's some. I guess there's some stereotypes that I've had with it, um, and and a lot of that is just you know what I've seen on TV. But I I used to have a summit climber, man. I'm gonna tell you, I had a summit climber. What back, you know almost 20 years ago when I first started hunting and I was watching, you know, TV, everything was down South and back East. So that's what I saw, right. Was, was tree stand hunting. I talked to, talked to Jimmy about this. So me and my buddy, man, we got into it, went and got our bows and everything and, um, went and bought a couple of climbers. And you want to talk about a funny experience, man. We get about 15 feet in the air, trembling and shit. <laughs> we could not get comfortable, man. So I definitely have a respect for it. And and back then, not understanding what I was looking for, you know, we would just set up in the wrong place, man. I think uh, two years we tried those things and I uh, saw one deer sitting in a tree stand, a little spike, which you can't shoot here, and realized if I was on foot... Um, that I was going to do a lot better, but yeah, I, there's some differences in it, but man, it's, it, to me, it's all the same end. Um, and, and right. breaking down that, right. I mean, you know, you're listening to everything we talked about, right? The call in the shed hunting, um, how you're setting up, what you're looking for. Um, and the only thing that I've seen from, from the Eastern hunting, and I'm not sure how prevalent it is or isn't, but with the archery hunting, I've talked to a couple guys and I met a guy last year, Roger, he is in Maryland and then he hunts, uh, has some property upstate New York and, uh, he doesn't use a peep sight on his bow, which I thought was something else. Um, so I'm not sure how prevalent that is. Um, I, I don't know about the peep sight. A lot of people Hey, to each their own when it comes to a lot of uh, a lot of gear. Um, let let me take it back just a little bit. Um, when I first started, when I first started shooting anything, firearm, bow, whatever, I shot right-handed. Um, I wrote right-handed. Everything I did was right-handed. Um, and I might earn some respect back from some of your some of your guys that think that hey, this whitetail guy's a joke. But um, you know, the very first gun that I ever shot was a 22410 over under. Um, I love that thing. And that it, it sits in my safe now. Um, after my dad passed away, I told my mom, I said, that gun I want because it just has so many memories. Um growing up we didn't have a lot of money. Um, we, we didn't, um, my dad worked his tail off for us. He had a side job of 
keeping bees. He was a beekeeper. Um, and he would take us, I mean, he had over a hundred beehives on multiple farms around that County. And we would go with him, but not so much when we were younger to help him, but he would give us a little box of 22s and say, okay, well, here you guys go. Me and my brother, here's 50 rounds of 22s. You guys take that gun right there and y'all go find something to shoot at and shoot it. You know I mean? that That's what we did. You know I mean? We were knee high to a grasshopper, so to speak. I mean, probably seven to nine years old, you know, probably younger than that. But I mean, that's what I learned how to shoot on was that old 22. And uh, that 22 was a skunk gun was what it was. That, that 22 rode around in the old truck. It was a truck. It was actually a Jeep Grand Cherokee, 1977 Jeep Grand Cherokee. I still remember that thing because I had my picture taken in it with my first deer. But uh, it rode around that truck all the time because skunks get into beehives and they can decimate beehives. And that's where uh, he always would would put traps up in front of the beehives. And sometimes we'd come across a skunk and that's what you shot skunk with was those that darn 22 but after shooting him in the head a bunch of times you realize that if you shoot a skunk through the lungs it doesn't spray but shooting the head it's going to spray every time so uh but yeah we would we would go out there and shoot and shoot and shoot and uh he used to get it on me all the time it's like well, why you keep cocking your head over that stock to, to aim with and i didn't know the difference i i didn't that's how I shot. And, uh, you know, after I graduated from the 22, I got my big boy gun. I got my deer rifle. I got myself a, a 257 Mark V Weather, or 257 Mag Weatherby Mark V as my deer rifle, as the first rifle that I ever owned. Um, we didn't have much, but when it came to hunting and and firearms, my dad was top of the line. I mean, he loved his Weatherbees. He was a Weatherby fanatic, and he was a Thompson Center fanatic when it come to muzzleloaders. Um, and I remember going to the gun range, and we'd be out there, and I'd be cranking my my head way over the stock to aim. And, man, I'd shoot that gun and crack myself in the eye with it every time what they call the Weatherby smile, you know, when you bust your eyebrow wide open, man, he'd be bleeding and he'd be pulling the handkerchief out of his back pocket and say, here, hold it on there, you know, go home a mile and be, what are you doing letting that boy shoot that gun, you know? And finally, we realized that I'm left-eye dominant. I ain't, I'm right-handed, but I'm uh, left-eye dominant. So you're reaching over to get your left eye over. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to aim with my left eye shooting it right-handed so then came the eye patch he said we'll figure we'll fix this we'll give you an eye patch so that's what we did got me an eye patch and i shot with that eye patch for for years and years and years so it was just one more thing in the stand that you had to do before you can before you could get the opportunity to shoot at that animal and try putting an eye patch on and see how much peripheral vision you lose you know you 
when you're watching that deer walk through the woods, you're watching that animal walk through the woods, you're kind of looking for its next move. Where's it going to move to next? Well, when you put that eye patch on, you know, you lose half of that. It's gone. So it was a struggle. It really was a struggle. You know, um, I finally decided that, hey, you know what? I'm going to try to shoot left-handed. And that's what I started doing. I started buying guns later on in my life that were had an ambidextrous stock. Muzzle loaders were my go-to weapon. That is probably still my favorite go-to weapon. I just love me a muzzle loader. Um, it's the best season to hunt whitetail in Virginia because of the time frame that it comes out. But uh, most muzzleloaders all have ambidextrous stocks, and I started shooting left-handed. I was like, man, this this is this is game changer right here. This is a game changer. I can I can do anything now. And uh, man, I started shooting whatever I could get my hands on. I shot everything left-handed. The one thing I couldn't change was the draw bow left-handed. I was like, man, I, I just can't do it. That's so a rough switch. Yeah, it's it's a very tough switch. It really is. So that's when I went and bought a crossbow. Um, I was cutting my season down by an entire month, six weeks. If I if I didn't archery hunt, you know, I'm missing the whole first month of the season. I thought, man, I just get a crossbow. And I can shoot that left-handed because it has an ambidextrous stock. That's easy. So I think my my girlfriend and I, we were going to some concert down in North Carolina. It just so happened that there was a Cabela's right down the road from where we were going to the concert. And I told her, I said, hey, we're going to have to go in here and check this out. We're, we're going to have to go in here to Cabela's. Knowing all along, they had this nice crossbow on sale right then and there. And I was going to buy the thing, right? But uh, so I did, brought it home, took my buddies. Within two hours, it was sighted in. I felt confident shooting anything out to 40 yards. And uh, man, went out hunting that evening and didn't see anything that evening. But the next time in the stand, I, I, I shot a buck the next very next day in the stand. I thought, well, this is cool. This is deadly. It gets the job done. That's what we're there to do, the, the correct thing, the ethical thing. But I was missing it. I was missing that compound. You know, I mean, there's something about it, and I don't know what it is. But it's, it's primal to be able to shoot that bow. So I, I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to do it. I, I don't care what I'm going to do. The only way to get around this is to just do it. I'm going to have to to force myself to try it. And I'd, I'd drawn bows left-handed before. And, man, it was a terrible feeling. It was clumsy as all get out. I mean, I'd been shooting a bow 30-plus years right-handed. I mean, back in the – you know, I'm, a, a week after this airs, I'm going to be turning 40 years old if anybody cares. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I – Back in the day, I say back in the day because it seems like ages ago now, um, you used to have like archery in, in gym class. You know, I mean, that used to be a thing. I don't, I don't know. They still do it nowadays. I don't think they do. But, um, you know, I used to shoot them little stick bows right-handed all the time. Man, I was deadly. 
I, I, I could hit the bullseye. I mean, I won all kinds of different tournaments and contests and all kinds of stuff shooting right-handed. But I, it was just different. When you start to get that sight on there, when you start to get the peep sight on it, can't look to that peep sight with my right eye. I'm just that much left eye dominant. And I just couldn't, and I just could not squint my left eye. So uh, I said last year, I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go and I'm going to get a left-handed bow. I'm going to sell my right-handed bow. So that way I don't have a bow to fall back on. And you got to do, do it. Because uh, crossbows are cool. Crossbows are deadly. Crossbows are great. But they're just not the same. They just aren't the same. So, uh, so that's what I did. And uh, I just went out and bought a, an older model ready to hunt package so I could get the feel of it. I thought, you know what? This isn't too bad. And uh, before the last day, I was putting putting three arrows in at 20 yards within a two-inch group. I thought, you know what? That's not too bad for the first day out of here doing this. So that's the long story there. That's uh, what I do as far as the gear now. I mean, that's um, I'm, I'm a lefty. I'm a southpaw. So it's, it's odd. But, you know, the, the biggest thing I learned about it is you may come across a little bump in the road, but you can find a way to get over that bump or get around that bump. You know, you can either go around it by wearing an eye patch and saying, hey, you know what? I, I can find a way around this issue that I have. Or you can just hit that thing straight on, wheels in the air, fly over it, and land. And you know what? You're going to be better off in the long run. And, uh, man, I can't wait. I can't wait till 2019. I got a new boat ordered. Um, just waiting for that call. They're going to be shipping it out. Nice. So, uh, what are you shooting? Or what are you planning to shoot? Well, me being a sissy-ass tree stand hunter, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like a shorter ADA. Uh-huh. I, like a, I like a shorter axle to axle. You know, it gets in... I like to hunt in some stands that have have some limbs in them. I, I don't I don't I don't want to be out there just hanging on the side of the tree. Um so I'm going to shorter ATA. Um I'm going with a new breed tyrant is what they it was. It was uh it was a model that they discontinued this year, but they still had some left-handed models out there. Um and that's what I'm going with this coming here the other nice thing about new breed no i'm not endorsed or sponsored or paid by new breed but every bow that you get from new breed they fully customize it however you want whatever color you want whatever type of uh um skin you want on it whatever color strings you want on it, whatever color decals you want it is 100 customizable for the price um and man that bx32 that they have right now i'm telling you if if i if I hadn't got the deal on the tire that I got because it was a discontinued model, but they still had left-handed risers available, thank goodness, um, I'd have gone with that BX32 because I mean it's it's just sick. So, uh, but yeah, they're great bows, um, and their the customer service is great. Those guys are on point down there for sure. You know what's funny about that, right? Is you is you look at 
Matthews, right? And and what did they hang their hats on for years? I mean, that's where that shorter ATA thing really come from, right? Was was that tree stand hunting? Was that, you know, that that back east, if you will, that style of hunting? I mean, that was that's really what put, in my opinion, what put Matthews on the map. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, right. you know, that's, right. that's huge. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I like that jab, man, about, you know, going back and forth, this Western, you know, Westies and the, and the tree stand guys thing. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, I mean, just in archery in general that uh, with hunting that has come out of Eastern or, or even Southern hunting, you know, that uh, I don't know if people realize it or don't realize it at this point, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, my, well, I guess my second bow that I had was a Matthews and I fell in love with that thing too. I mean, they do, they do offer some, some great bows. Um, but dag on, you know, I, Garrett Weaver with his, his whole bow reconciliation there, buy a cheaper bow, get the job done with less so you can spend more money on tags. He did a great one there. Oh yeah, he did. Um, that's I'm that's sure impressive. You tuned in on that one. Oh yeah, that's impressive, man. I'm still still curious to see how that season goes with it, but yeah, that dude is yeah. uh, he has that dial. That that's a pretty good uh I really have enjoyed listening and, you know, following along with that one. Right. But uh he um that's Matthews, I mean, it's just like any other bow manufacturer nowadays. I mean, you you buy what's new this year, and you're going to pay that extra pretty penny for it. But what's wrong with that bow from last season or the season before? Mm-hmm. Or you see some you see some brands bringing older models back, saying, "Hey, you know, this is Alpha 2.0 right here." You know, you're <laughs> like, well, what's the difference? price yeah. you know well we're but, um, we're all gear junkies man i mean you can't you know like you're saying you got that you got that dual that dual call and uh that's all it really amounts to right i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of divide when you get you know the i'll call them brandies um you know, a guy is, you know, I'm a brand loyalist, right? If, if something has worked for me, I'm not going to switch until it's broken or not working. Um, so I get that, right. but there's a lot of people that is just, it, it's, it's really not about what it's working or what's working. It's about, you know, latest and greatest. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's a disservice to my pocket. I can't go there, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and i like Fair gear enough, like the rest of them get expensive for yeah sure. it does man it sure it does i was yeah. i was talking to john and he just picked up that uh prime ct5 and i bought the prime synergy last year and i had to go to the archery shop this week to get something and uh <laughs> i looked at that ct5 and i refused to shoot it guy said hey scott tell me you want to shoot that and no man i'm gonna just touch it <laughs> told John, I'm sorry I touched it. Now I feel like I got to shoot it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my buddies just bought a prime synergy as well this year. Oh, and uh, it. it was on the list and I was looking and I started calling around people and bow shops and couldn't find the left-handed model anywhere. Um, one of the drawbacks to being a lefty mm-hmm. old Southpaw, but, um, yeah, there was a lot of research and a lot that went into um, picking a new rig for 2019, for sure. 
But um, I guess the reason why I'm, I'm such a big archery hunter, um, not only does it extend that season considerably, um, and I'm looking to extend that season even more in 2019, but one thing not too many people know is that growing up, like I said, we, we didn't have a whole lot growing up. Um, you know, hunting was a way for my dad to put meat on the table. It was a, it was a good protein, protein punch for us all. Um, but my dad ran a, he ran an archery shop out of our basement growing up, um, before beekeeping really kind of took over his passion. And before he really realized that when you run an archery shop, it cuts into your hunting time because that's a busy season. Yeah. They want their stuff done now. And he's like, well, what, what, wait a second, you know, but, um, no growing up, I mean, that's, I remember going downstairs all the time in the basement and my dad would be down there. And I mean, he had several chairs down there and, guys would be sitting there waiting in line, you know, to, to pick up their errors that he had fletched for them or to do a tune up on the bow. And man, these are, these are antique bows now. I mean, I think about them and I think about how much gear has progressed over the years. And it just, it's really mind blowing. It really is. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to know how straight our adventures came up, came around it was because my dad owned straight arrow archery shop oh, down okay. in our base so uh yeah he was eventually after the years you know he would let us fletch some of the arrows and do some things but man we're talking about old school aluminum shafts i mean they're like as big around as a water pipe mm-hmm. you know I'm like, how did how does anybody get anything with this stuff you know but uh even back in the day when when uh after I'd harvested my first whitetail with a rifle, I told him, I said, man, I, w- I want to get into archery hunting. I want to do some archery. And this is after he had already closed the shop up. Um, just because, like I said, his his kind of paths kind of led more towards beekeeping. And there was more outlets to make more money as a side job with beekeeping than there was um, the archery shop. As well as the fact that You know, hunting was something that he thoroughly enjoyed. But when my brother and I got of age to really start hunting, that's when it really started to drive him. And uh, when I said, hey, man, I want to get a bow. I want to start archery hunting. His eyes just lit up. I remember that. But we got an old bear bow. I don't even remember what model it was. It was, man, that thing was ugly. (laughs) It was I don't have it anymore. I think I sold it to the yard sale like 10 years ago for a little bit of nothing. But man, I, I remember that bow that I, I spent so many hours practicing with that bow because we got it in the spring. And he said, if you want to hunt this fall with this bow, you're going to have to be able to put three arrows in a pie pan, 20 yards, eight inch pie pan. I said, well, I can do that. And, uh, I did. But man, I remember I spent so many hot summer days out there when there's no school, just just throwing arrows, just throwing arrows, man. But technology advancements nowadays, I mean, the hunting industry is just awesome. It really is. Oh, and I, that's what really, I, 
that's what really intrigues me so much about hunting now too is well what gear's coming out for this year what what can i get my hands on what can i try new you know what new broadheads can i try or what new arrows can i try or whatever it is i mean it's just always something different and new so it's never ending man i'm telling you you gotta you really have to balance the finances <laughs> to make it past the oh. gear so you can get in your tags yeah I, i'm a penny pincher but when it comes to my hunting budget that thing's pretty big you know? <laughs> yeah it's pretty darn yeah. big so uh yeah but no, my girlfriend, she's very understanding. She's she's great about the amount of time I spend in the woods. She's great about the well, I don't know that she knows how much I spend on hunting because we don't have we have separate accounts. So uh but no, at the end of the day, I mean she's she's great when it comes to giving my time because she knows how much that I enjoy hunting as well. So, yeah, I'm, const- I'm constantly sneaking gear into my garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when we get married, that may change, you know? So I think I might have this year to really start packing in gear, you know, <laughs> maybe buy a couple uh, storage units and then we'll go from there. But um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not getting, sure. I'm gonna get in trouble when I walk in the house, or at least after this airs. <laughs> uh, it'll be all right. It'll be I, all right. It won't stop me, man. It won't stop. I can't. I can't that's stop. Right. I'm addicted. That's right. And I think that's the problem with some of these darn subscription boxes, too. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. These things, you never know what you're gonna get. Them, you're like, man. Yeah. Why didn't I have it already? <laughs> I mean, it's great. Who would have known? And then sometimes you'll get something you're like, okay, well, I already have this because, but hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I like it all over again. You know, it's, uh, but yeah, those, they always have some good stuff in them that, hey, man, I, 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 I use stuff all the time out of those boxes. I can't say anything, but I would use stuff out of my boxes today. So, uh, it, it, you yeah. said, you said who would have known and, and yeah, it's who would have known I, I, I needed this <laughs> all these mm-hmm. years. I didn't even know I needed this. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea that I needed this, but I got it now. Yeah, hey, that, I might buy a spare now that I got this one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That gear obsession uh, is something else, man. Yes. Yes. But you know, Eastern gear must haves are different than Western gear must haves. And I think you and I hit on this a little bit when we talked last night is, um, you know, one of the boats you sent me was gear picks and must haves. And I thought, man, let me, let me just run through my pack because that's another thing, guy. I love packs. And I don't know why. <laughs> you, you tree stand hunt, man. What, what? <laughs> packs are so much, but I have, I have too many packs, but I don't have, the Western pack, right? The, the, the big frame pack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have one of those. Um, I will say that I had one, an old one, but that's a whole nother story another day. Um, but I just love packs. I like to see the different packs that different brands and companies come out with to see what have you done different? Where's your pocket? Com- you know, what's your, pocket layout versus this what where's my range finder pocket at where's this at where's that 
and when you really get into it, I mean, then you get into bino harnesses, which is totally different. You know, I, I just got a subscription box with a new bino harness, and I was like, where have you been? You know, <laughs> where have you been? This is great. But I don't like this, but I do like this. And I mean, I feel like I need to go design my own gear now, you know? But um, now, I mean, there are several must-haves. And I, I will put money on it that a gear must-have that, that the West must-have, that the East must-have is a good knife. I mean, knife is number one, whether it's in your pack or whether it's in your bino harness, where I know a lot of guys keep them or whether it's on your belt. Um, a bino horn or a knife is definitely one of those things that is, is key. It's critical. You know, um, there's a lot of great ones out there. I'm not going to name drop any in particular. Um, I, I tried a new one out this past year, and I was actually gotten a deer, and, man, I was so excited about how great it was and how sharp it was, and I ran that darn knife up as I was getting ready to slide, slide up to cut the trachea and man I just barely bumped across my thumb across that bone and blade myself wide open I was like you idiot <laughs> you know? is that one you of idiot. the is that one of the surgical blades yes yeah, see, it those, was one of those man those are yep. uh, inherently risky right I mean you're talking surgery sharp right I mean that that's some risk and and i'm not and and by no means am i belittling your hunting but when you look at the western situation right a lot of guys are are packing in some deep miles and you get out there man and you get the right slice on the wrong spot man and that that becomes a dangerous thing oh yeah well my story was is i it was actually that that first day that i showed up there on public land before my buddies got there right so I was as far away from camp as I had planned on being. And fortunately that doe had had expired down near a stream, a nice little creek, right? She'd actually kind of crossed it a couple of times and then just just went. Um which is an old wives tale that my dad passed down to me years and years ago. If you ever shoot a deer, go to water. Because that deer is going to go to water, and I don't know why that is. Oh, but it, oh man, don't get me true. going. So check this out. So we, we, we can talk about that later. I, I'm going to cu- anyway. let me hold on. Let me cut you off because I, I'm going to give you yeah. I'm going to give you something. So I talked to James Nash, Captain James Nash, uh, last week. Dropped his episode, and he turned me on to yeah. a book, um, Predator Prey Dynamics by Michael Conroy. Read that book, okay. and and that explanation is in that book. It is, it's kind of a dry read at first, but oh my goodness, is it eye-opening. So yeah, sorry to cut you off, but since you said that, I had to get that in there. It is awesome. I I didn't get a chance to listen to uh, uh, James's episode yet. I mean, slap me on the hand, that's fine. Um, But I've listened to him before on some other podcasts and he's, he's just a beast. He really is. He's an animal. Definitely. And that I'm telling you, that book, man, it, it really has me rethinking my approach for next year. Hey, do us all a favor. Do us all a favor if you didn't already in his show notes, put it in the show notes for this one too. 
if you don't mind. Oh, or no, somewhere. Yeah, I'll put it on there. And I, I posted on <laughs> uh, on my Instagram, um, on the Western Contours podcast Instagram. Um, you'll see it on there. So it's one of the pictures Perfect. that's on there. It is. Yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm so glad that he brought that book up, man. And it's a little pricey. I found it on Google Play uh, for about 50 percent off. But it is kind of an expensive read for 240 <laughs> some odd pages. But man, is it worth it? OK, good. But well, yeah, hey, check that out. I, so I apologize. I Go ahead. Books here, man. You know, I, I love I love reading books. I, um, I, I just I do. I mean, I, I'll name drop here, Mr. Douglas Bowes, the ultimate guide to black bear hunting. Yeah, I got I got that thing right here on my desk. So I'm sitting there right now. You know, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge, you know, uh, just huge wealth of knowledge. But anyways, let's go back to that knife thing. That doe had crashed down that creek and I'd, I'd laid my thumb open. I thought, man, I'm up here by myself. I don't have a first aid kit in my pack, but I got one in the truck all the way back at camp. So my whole plan to get this deer out of this area back there, it, it totally changed. Now, at first, I have to think about myself first. I mean, I, I washed myself up in the creek. Yeah, it's still bleeding pretty steadily. So uh, I got to I got to put myself first and then and then get back to this deer. Um, so fortunately, a lot of whitetails, you, you can drag. You don't have to pack out. Um, that's, I guess, one of the, the good things about hunting over here on the east side is that we can we can drag or cart out most of our stuff. Um, but I had to go all the way back to camp. Sounds far to me. It was about just under three miles back to camp. But um, got back there, got myself taken care of with my pack. <laughs> Got myself all situated, changed out of my hunting stuff, got on my game recovery gear and said, okay, let's go get this deer out. And I still had her out of there before dark, which was good. But, um, you know, that's, that's one of those things that you, you have to be prepared for the next situation. And um, it's one thing that I shamed myself on because I'm an Eagle Scout. Um, you know, I, scout might have be prepared I, I wasn't i wasn't prepared for that i cut myself and that was stupid it was really it was careless on my part um and that's one thing that i've started carrying in my pack now is just a simple first aid kit because it's something that i i didn't have but i needed and i didn't have it and that that infuriated me even more because there i am walking three miles holding pressure on my thumb and my other thumbs cramping because I'm holding pressure on it. <laughs> and I'm mad because I didn't want this to happen. So I went from like a super high, like, yeah, I got the job done in like an hour to like, you're an idiot, you know? So, but Hey, we got back to camp and, uh, or I got back to camp, got the deer, got it broke down, got it all taken care of. And, uh, Man, I just had a relaxing evening. I mean, it was it was cool. It was cool. It was it was good to be up there, but it was lonely at the same time. That wasn't able to share it with some other guys until the next night. So, uh, oh, you but, got to ride that cloud though when they got there for a little while yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> That's always yeah. fun. For a little while, <laughs> for a little while until JJ decides 
do his thing. But, uh, you know, absolutely. So, yeah. You know, that's, that's funny. So there's a couple of things that you brought up there. And the first one I'm going to touch on is the first aid kit, right? So I've heard more and more about guys not carrying a, you know, a first aid kit in their packs. And that, that puzzles me, man. Cause that is the fir- absolutely the first thing that I put in my pack, uh, when I'm getting ready for season. Plus I carry a pretty extensive one in the, in the hunting rig. Um, but yeah, I'm always surprised to hear that guys aren't really packing a, a good first aid kit, man. Considering, you know, so I, I don't care if you pack in two miles, a mile, right. Uh, where you're hunting that, that, yeah, that one just kind of leaves me at a loss, you know. Like I said, it's the first thing I go through it every. That's the first piece that goes into my pack, and it's the first thing I go through in preparation for season to make sure that everything that you know should be there is is still good. Um, but what an important piece that guys are leaving out, and I'm hearing that more and more. Yeah, it's it's it really was overlooked on my part. I. I and I don't think you really realize it until you're in a situation where you need it. Right. And, and luckily, I mean, you know, that could be worse, right? If you had slipped on something and, and hit, you know, your wrist and hit a vein or artery or something, you know, that that's a big deal. Then you're sitting there trying to figure oh. out how you're going to deal with that. Please, oh, guys, absolutely. carry carry a damn first aid kit, guys. Yeah. yeah. Learn, learn from other people's mistakes here. Yeah. Just carry, you know go wherever you do some shopping at, whether it's an outdoor store, whether it be Cabela's or Bass Pro or wherever, and just get you, get you a decent first aid kit. You know, I mean, that that's, it's doesn't have to be something huge or expensive. You of course want something small, especially for a lot of the guys doing back country, but man, it, it could be a lifesaver. You know, I mean, I, I can't put a, a a name on it, but I know that there was somebody out west last year. You'll probably know. I think they cut themselves with a broadhead or oh, something like uh, that. David Brinker, man. Yes, that's yeah, who it is. Yeah, that was. I mean, uh, did you see how they? That was deep. Yeah, that was yeah. that was crazy. Those broadheads are something else, and the way that they were able to use what they had for the lack of having a complete first aid kit was, was pretty phenomenal. But I mean, you know, that's what right. I'm talking about there. Imagine if he was by himself and had to figure all that out. Right. Right. Yeah. Without the proper training that, that probably would not have ended too well for him. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people maybe are just too maybe macho or maybe their testosterone level is a little too high. Um, Hell yeah! Until you're bleeding I'm out. Not need that. <laughs> until yeah. you're bleeding I'm not out. Need that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that extra eight ounces right there. No, I can put that in something else. You know, hey, that a first aid kit is definitely something that is uh, a necessity. And yeah, even though I had one in the truck, there's now a second one also in my pack, just in case something something happens. And you know, for us sissy ass tree stand hunters <laughs> i'm gonna throw it out there you know uh a fall arrest system is yeah. Whoa, i mean you know don't just don't risk it i mean some of the tree stands that i hunt in and some of them that i hang i mean i almost gets 
uncomfortable in them at times because they're so high or so awkward. But you have to deal with what Mother Nature gives you. And it's that tree. It's not that tree over there. It's this tree, you know. But, um, you know, if I didn't have my safety harness on when I shot that bear, I probably would have fell out of that stand. You know, it's just a little tiny Ameristep hang-on stand. It, it's a little $25 deal. It ain't it ain't nothing spectacular. Eesh. I mean, it's <laughs> enough to keep you up in the tree, you know. 25 bucks, it how was, high? 30, 40 feet high? <laughs> yeah, it was, well, with the bank that I was shooting down at, it was, yeah, I would say it's probably 35 oh, feet. Yeah. Yeah. $25, yeah. <laughs> no, thank <Yeah>. you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick with my glass yeah. and spot and stock, buddy. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I got a but, uh, I got a thing for heights. <laughs> yeah, but see now I've I've learned to to pick and choose a little bit better trees and stands. I still have that stand. I hunted in that stand um, this past year and passed up on a, a nice big doe. Um, I hunted in it the year before. Later in that season of 2017, hoping to get an, uh, a shot at this big ginormous 10 point palmated thing that I had running around, but it was the last day of the season. I was like, I'm going all in. I'm, I'm getting back in that stand. I'm going to do it. Even though I hated that stand, <laughs> you know, but something told me that morning I needed to hunt that stand. So, uh, it was in a location where it wasn't the same tree, but is the same vicinity as where I'd shot my first deer on that property. Uh, 2016 so i was like i I gotta go to this area this location and uh it paid off but um yeah a a safety harness is ideal um it's it's another one of those eastern necessities so that and snacks you gotta have lots of snacks i mean snacks are paramount in my world you know you don't you don't want to be up there and getting hungry because what are you going to do going to have to go get out of the stand, go back to the truck, and you never know when that buck's going to be coming by or cruising by. You just never know. So uh, 13 hours in a stand. I mean, you're going dark to dark. Yeah, you definitely got to eat. Yeah. yeah. Apples are a good idea. Apples are a good choice. You know, you throw the core down on the ground and hope that the deer like it. You know, <laughs> that's not technically baiting, you know, but uh, it's it's lunch, yeah, lunch refuse. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But uh, that's um, those are a couple of things, and definitely uh, hot hands, the little hand warmers. I'm I'm a big proponent of those. Um, Amazon always gets a good purchase or two of those a season or a year, and I found some little things there. Actually, my girlfriend bought them for me two years ago, and I, I fell in love with them. And they discontinued them and make them anymore. They're called hot mocks. And they're little like booties, little booties, almost like slippers that just slip over your boots. So you can wear some 800 grain boots. Um, 800 grain is a insulation boots or 400 grains of insulation boots and slip those on. And man, your feet don't get cold. Now you just, you just sent a bunch of Western hunters, hands in the air, heads flew back, <laughs> hot hands and, yep. and slippers over 800 grain. <laughs> yep. That's right. That's right. I wear you about a um, couple layers, base layers, some, some real good Merino wool socks. And I don't know, 
maybe four or five upper layers along with your jacket. You'll be good. But the key is, is you don't hike in with all that gear on because you're going to get over sweated uh-huh. and you're going to be miserable. Freeze and up. That, that took a while to learn. But uh, I learned that, you know what, less is more. You, you, pack your, you pack your outer layers in. You go in wearing a little bit of nothing. And um, you're cold when you first get out of the truck. But once you start moving, once you start humping into that stand, you don't think about a cold. Man, your adrenaline's flowing. You got the whole day ahead of you. You don't know what's going to walk out of that next. That's, so, uh, I mean, there's another, there's another similarity, right? We're joking, but there it is again, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the rules here. You don't want to get all sweated up walking in. Oh yeah. You know, so you oh, yeah. pack in and that regular stuff and then don it when you're there and ready to hunt, man, when you get to your spot. Oh, and don't get me wrong. I'm very envious of a lot of Western hunters. I'm a lot, I'm envious of the ability to not have to, to think about what it's like to sit in a stand for 13 hours in 10 degree weather or man, I, I tell you what, the, the last day of 2017 season that I hunted, it was a high of nine degrees that day with a minus five degree wind chill, which for Virginia is bad. When you talked to Jimmy there last week, Jimmy deals with that. That's like, a summer day for him. He's like, oh, he's shirt and shorts in this day, right? I'm like, no. But um, you know, that's that's the day that you take and you have to think about, okay, am I gonna sit in the same stand all day or I'm gonna hit a couple different stands today because I'm gonna have to get up and move around a little bit. And I'm gonna have to slowly to stalk from one stand to the next. And that's what I did that day. I mean it was it was uncomfortable. It really was. But you know, you throw you throw some warm apple cider up in the in the insulated bottle and throw that in the pack and um, or some hot soup. I'm not a coffee drinker, but you know, you throw some stuff there and you just go with it. And you have to realize that hey, this is the last day. This is the this is it. You know, you're going to look back and regret not going on this day. And, uh, so that's the one thing that I don't ever want to look back on and say, man, I'm, I wish I would have gone on this day. I wish I would have done that because you can only blame yourself. If your schedule enables you to, you might as well be out there. And, you know, bless her heart, my girlfriend, she's always like, why aren't you going? Why aren't you going today? I said, I'm going. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it. it doesn't matter what the weather is. You know what? All you Western hunters out there, you ain't seen nothing until you see an umbrella up in that tree above my stand up there. I'm high and dry right now. You know <laughs> because trust me, after the first time of missing or that muzzleloader won't go off because your powder's wet, hmm, you guess what? I'm going to find a way to get around this, you know? So uh, that's the one great thing about muzzleloaders, though, over the years. I know I said something about it being one of my favorite weapons to use. Um, here in Virginia, muzzleloader season is the first two weeks of November. Um, the first two weeks of November is typically when the rut really kicks off here in Virginia. Um, it's the time to be in the woods. That's when people take their vacation. That's when people are are 25 feet up in the air or on those food plots waiting 
for that buck to be cruising and coming by. Um, typically, of course, you know, everything changes year to year changes, whatever. But, um, you know, that's, that's what I love to see. But the real reason why I guess I was a muzzleloader hunter is because back when I first started hunting, I didn't have the time off of school to be out in the woods hunting. All I was able to do was hunt Saturdays back in the, in the day, that's all we had was, you didn't have Sunday hunting. I was in school Monday through Friday. You know, you went to school. My parents said, Dan, go to school because this education is free. And after you graduate from high school, you're going to pay for any education that you get. So I had 13 years of perfect attendance, 3,280 days of school I went to. I went to every darn one of them. Never missed a day of school all the way through grade school. Um, so hunting was like my escape from the real world there, at least on Saturdays, unless I had football, which I hated when I had like football games on Saturdays, homecoming. Oh, yeah, we got homecoming game. I'd rather be in the woods hunting. There you go. You know what I'm saying? I want those Friday games. At least Fridays, <laughs> I can get up Saturday morning cracking on because I'm young. You know, I can do this. But um, so muzzleloader hunting was that time of the year, late season. We didn't have anything early season. You had late season muzzleloader. Um, they didn't introduce an early muzzleloader season until right before I moved out of Maryland. But uh, that week that we were off Christmas to New Year's was always late muzzleloader season. So that was my thing. That was my jam. I was like, man, I, I want to. Told my dad, it's like, Dad, you know what? I want a, I want a muzzler. He goes, well, never know what Santa's going to bring you. And I'll be darned if Santa didn't bring me a, a 50 caliber hawking muzzler kit. Not the whole gun, but the kit. I was like, this is great, but I want to hunt. Right? He goes, well, you know, I got to work the next three days. He goes, you got this week, get it done, and we'll go hunting this weekend. I was like, okay, we'll do it, you know? And pretty much those those kits, they all come pretty much already done. All you got to do is really do a little final sanding and fit the parts together, screw them in, bolt them in, and stain it, and it's, it's done, right? But, uh, so, man, I, it looked terrible. I, I redid it after the season was out to make it look, look a little bit better. Yeah, I still have that that old Hawking, um, old open sighted Hawking muzzleloader. You know, it was a, uh, it was fun. I love that gun. I still do. But that's that's what really drove me towards muzzleloader hunting. And then a couple years after that, they they allowed scopes on muzzleloaders and then inline started coming out i mean before that i mean you didn't even have inline muzzleloaders that that was a foreign they weren't even made yet so uh yeah i've always wanted to build one i've always considered it i've just never done it i think that'd be yeah. fun to go out and try and chase something with one of those old ones <clears throat> so put open sights on it and, and see how you do you know it's uh it's a whole nother experience. It, it'll make you think archery hunting's a walk in the park for sure. Yeah. When you put those open sights on it. But, uh, yeah, that's, um, 
I'm, I enjoy them. I really do. Muzzle loaders are, are my go-to. They still are. Um, and it's nice, right, to get back to, to get back to, you know, uh, that primitive technology, if you will. Um, right. We, we are kind of dependent on all the technology we have, whether it's rifles or, uh, you know, with archery. I mean, you look at archery and some of the stuff that's, you know, around now is just mind blowing the stuff that'll do right now. We got the rangefinder built into the site and some of the, uh, the bows are just crazy. So just to step back GPS and get into this. Yeah. Can tell you exactly where the animal was standing, where, you were standing when you shot the animal and where the animal was and where the blood trail should start. That's crazy. That's insane. Yes, absolutely. And I, th- I think the primitive style is more my style as well. You know I mean? It's one thing. I know you spoke to Rev there quite a bit there. The last podcast that I listened to in this series, um, cause Jimmy's hasn't released. I don't know if you release Jimmy's tonight or you're going to do it tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, it drops uh, tonight at 1201. Oh boy. Well, daggone. I guess. Well, according to my time, it already has. There but, you go. Um, it's ready. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to stay up to li- listen to that one. I might have to catch that tomorrow. But, um, the old Jimbo, good guy. But, you know, you talk to Rev about what, what drives you and, and what makes you want to be a hunter. And, um, you know, I thought a lot about that and the more that that hunting evolves and has grown in a lot of ways as far as technology and gear I really truly enjoy the more primitive ways of doing things you know I enjoy the muzzleloader because you know what you got one chance you got one chance to shoot that animal just like with archery and, I'm not saying you're not going to get a second arrow out at that that elk or you're not going to get a second arrow out at that deer. But the likelihood of you getting a second chance is marginal at best. And I think that's why I like muzzle. I mean, yeah, I can take a rifle out all day long and I can crack it out there at 500, 700 yards if need be and take care of business. And that takes a certain amount of skill as well. And I respect those guys as well because that's that's beyond my realm of expertise. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it, but I think that uh, the primitive style is definitely the way for me. I really do enjoy it a lot more. And that's why I said, you know what? The crossbow's great. I need to get back to the old stick and string, the real stick and string. That's for me, for sure. So, yeah, I. I uh... I've always considered a recurve, right? But to be honest, as much as as much as I appreciate that stuff, man, I I I can hunt. In my head, mm-hmm. I can hunt. But I'll be damn yeah. I'll be damned if I'm gonna give them give the animal any more advantage than they already have, man. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're, you're right. I can't That's get myself so to do it, man. I can't get myself to do it. No, I definitely respect all the trad hunters out there, the guys that shoot the recurves, the guys that shoot the longbows, the guys that even make their own bows even is even better. I mean, hats off to you guys for sure. But I can't get into recurves myself 
because that was the first bow that I remember shooting that my dad gave me. It wasn't a compound bow. It was, here's this recurve, you know, here, go shoot this thing. And I remember you'd have to string the thing before you could even go outside and shoot with it. And man, I'd be like struggling because I'm just a little guy, you know, I'm just a little tight back in the day, but I wanted to do it. But, you know, it was take, I'd always have to get my brother to do it for me. My, I'd say to my dad, hey, can you string it? And he's like, no, if you're going to shoot it, you're going to have to learn how to string it. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So it made me have animosity towards recurves, even though, <laughs> you know, I, I respect the guys that do it. But you're right. It's, it's a challenge. It's a chess match all the time. And that's one similarity that I definitely see between Eastern hunters and Western hunters is this chess match that we play with the animals. And I think, honestly, every person that's a hunter is a very A-type person that's very competitive because they want to compete. They want to challenge and take a challenge on something that is better than them. You know what? That dominant bull elk out there, that herd bull, I guarantee you, knows the terrain, knows the environment, knows the outdoors better than that hunter that's out there pursuing it, hands down. I don't care who it is or how many, I don't care if it's Luke Elephants. I don't care. (laughs) That bull is better than him, you know, at the end of the day. But Luke finds a way or... Rev finds a way or Jonathan finds a way or whoever other elk hunters out there finds a way to say checkmate at the end of the day. And that's what drives so many of us. That's what drives me. It's, you know, this stand, I mean, I I can move a stand from 40 yards from one tree stand set to another. And it makes all the difference in the world. And I think to myself, why didn't I do that last year? Well, I know why you didn't do it last year, because last year you kept hearing deer over this ridge down here on this other trail that you couldn't see, but you kept hearing them. But now you went from moving those pawns and moving those rooks or those bishops around this board to now you took your queen and put it right over there and said, you know what? Checkmate. You're done. You know? So that's really what it is. It's it's a competitive, I'm not saying a game. But it's the competition that we play with these animals that they're masters. I mean, they really are. So that's, that is, yeah, that's an awesome analogy of that. So what do you, what do you got coming, man, for uh, 2019? What should we be looking out for? Man, 2019. I don't know, 2019. Um, so we got turkey season coming up here in about four weeks, I believe it is. Um, then we got a little bit more extra predator hunting down in North Carolina. I'm trying to get up with um, the owner of some property down there that my brother has had permission to hunt on to maybe put down some song dogs to maybe get the access into that property a little bit earlier. Um, my brother... Um, like I said, he's my big brother. I love him to death, but, um, I hunt considerably 
harder than he does. Um, <laughs> and he won't disagree with that. He won't disagree with it at all, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always out there looking for the next property, the next person that I can find that I can and get in on their property or what else I can do, you know. And he has a, a sick piece of property down there, a couple of them that um, I'm hoping that I can get in there as well because down in North Carolina, even though I'm going further south, their season opens a month earlier than what I do in Virginia. So uh, that was, that's, that's big. You know, I don't care if it's 80 degrees. I'll be out there in t-shirt and a bunch of face paint and camo. It doesn't matter. You know, I'll show, I'll throw on my Jimmy Glazer Crocs up in the tree stand. It doesn't matter. To me. <laughs> yeah, I know Jimmy likes the Crocs. Uh, it's yeah, all there, good. There's some pictures of them in them Crocs, man. You know, I don't, you haven't heard it yet, but so on, uh, you, you had said you could drag or cart out most of your, uh, most of your deer there. Right. So Jimmy and I, Jimmy and I were talking and he was talking about, uh, his first elk hunt in, uh, Montana. And they took one of them deer, uh, one of the deer carts with them, and tried to put a uh, an elk on it because uh, nobody knew how to quarter an elk. <laughs> and man, oh, oh god, did I die! I thought that was hilarious. He said, "Yeah, they, yeah, they tried to get that elk on there, man." I'm like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> what a good idea, Jimmy." That was funny, yeah, though, man. Was but no, 2019. Um, we also so I'm going to try to get down to North Carolina. Um, a, a guy that I went to college with um, that lives in Maryland still. Um, I wanted, I've been meaning to get up with him um, over on the Eastern shore where I went to college, the Eastern shore of Maryland. They have some sick deer over there. There you go. They're, they're many, they're like many elk. Um, they bugle. They, they sound like elk um, to a degree, but um I, I, I've been meaning to get up there with him and try to do that. So I'm trying to expand a little bit more this year. Um, work and my work schedule, along with the amount of vacation time that I have or I'm in, enabled to have, um, prevents me from taking as much vacation time as I'd like to during hunting season. So it kind of it kind of holds me back a little bit, but I just have to be a little bit smarter with how I use it. Um, I work for a manufacturing company, so uh, actually an auto manufacturing company. So they like to shut down the week of Fourth of July. So they already take one week of your vacation from that. Oh wow! And I say, you know what? Can I just take it non-paid and use that other week of vacation during the fall? And they're like, no, can't do that. So uh, I'm stuck on that one. But once I get an extra week, um, I'm coming out west. I'm coming out west with you guys. Um, that's something else that's that's always on the bucket list. Um, but no, 2019. Um, to wrap it up, after maybe North Carolina and possibly Maryland, um, I'm going to be probably probably 90 percent sure that I'm going to be on some new property this year, um, private land. Um, I got a guy that I've been scouting out his property. I'm going to increase the private land by about three times than what I currently have now. Um, he just wants some help on the farm, really. I mean, that's what it is. That's that's the one nice thing about where I live at in the rural district that I do. You know, the, 
a handshake and a smile and a little bit of hard work helps out a lot and really gets you in. You know, um, he's a good old boy. And, you know, we'd throw up a couple loads of wood this past year. I'd hunt a half a day and help him cut wood and split it second half. You know, you have to, you have to give and take there. So, uh, so that's kind of where 2019's ending up. Um, but 2021, watch out, West Coast, because we're coming. We're coming for y'all. Um, we'll be putting in some tags for some other states, too, trying to earn up some points. Um, bucket list hunts like mule deer, pronghorn, those are always on there. But the one thing that my dad as well could never do was to harvest an elk. He went out to Colorado multiple times. Um, I think he went out there three, maybe four times to elk hunt and was not successful on a nice bull that he wanted. So uh, I'm kind of living my dad's legacy. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of passing this along. Um, Done wrong with that, man. So that's, uh, that's, like I said, with the bear and now with the elk, it kind of pushes me to do a little bit more. I'm not a trophy hunter. I'm an experienced hunter. I'm a legacy hunter. That's what I want to be. So, sure. So anything we miss that you want to uh, pass on, get out there? Man, I told you before this whole thing started, we were going to talk about maxi pads, and we haven't talked about maxi pads. Uh-oh. All right. Drop it. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Man. This is late in the podcast. I doubt anybody's still listening, but you're still tuned in. This is a good one. So, um, back before my first ever deer hunt, um, this is back when I was, shoot, I, I was 11 years old when I went out on my first deer hunt. Um, my dad had always hunted public property. He had always hunted public land. I remember that growing up, he would take my brother occasionally on on hunts with him and always bugged the crap out of me. I was like, man, I want to go. I want to go just for experience. And my brother would just sit at the base of the tree, like in a little like brush blind, you know, nothing fancy. I mean, this is back in the day. I mean, there wasn't ladder stands and gear that we have nowadays. This is, you built your own stand out of two by fours and plywood up in, in the trees. Right. Um, but I remember once I, me and, or myself and my brother were of age to really hunt, I guess once I was, my dad decided, you know what, we're, we're not taking the public land because the place that he hunted was called Green Ridge up in Allegheny County, Maryland. And man, it's like a civil war on that midday. Um, yes, of course, whitetail management has grown exponentially over the years. But if you were to see a basket rack six point running around Green Ridge, that was a trophy back in the day, back in the, the in the eighties, for real. So when I come of age, he's like, I, I gotta get public land, I gotta keep his boys safe. I can't put them up in a tree stand by themselves and, and go on down the ridge somewhere and, and know that they were okay. So uh we he had, he had found some connections, found some guys to hunt with and all, and uh, met this gentleman. And uh, 
his name was Ronnie Myers. He he had a taxidermy shop and he had about fifty six acres of property, I guess, on his behind him there. Guy was a big hunter, but I mean he's a taxidermist. He didn't care about shooting deer. I mean, he had giant deer hanging on the wall, you know? I mean, that's, that's what he did. And this property, for all you history buffs out there, which it, it the property kind of butted up close to the Antietam battlefield from back in the Civil War. So I mean it it was it was kind of landlocked between that and the West Virginia line. Um there's a big Potomac River there that runs and the deer do cross, but not nearly as much. So the guy had a honey hole of a piece of property. My dad had been in there bow hunting a couple times here and there. And he introduced the or introduced the idea to to this guy that, hey, I want to bring my sons down here to hunt. I think this would be a safe place for them to hunt and everything. He said, oh, yeah, I got all kinds of stands up here and there and everywhere. So my dad actually kept a couple beehives on the property as well. It's kind of also how he got in with them. It was always a good icebreaker right there. was, hey, can I keep some bees over here on your property and turn it into, can I hunt the property? You know? Which was smart. I didn't realize at the time, but that's pretty ingenious. Maybe I need to become a beekeeper again. But anyways, I'd never hunted before. You know, I took my hunter's ed, passed that with flying colors, was all ready for hunt season to come around. And while my dad would work bees, my brother and I would just terrorize the woods. Oh, I remember that tree stand. And see, I see that tree stand. Because my dad would always take us in places and introduce us growing up to the woods and the outdoors and the hunting and everything. And I could remember it. It just came natural. I'd go down this old logging road to this and then go over here and then up on this knoll is this big old stand. So, and I remember us putting up a nice old ladder stand for my brother. So, uh, we were all set. We'd, we'd put a bunch of tree stands up on this property. I was going to hunt an old stand that, that the gentleman Ronnie had put up. My dad put this tree stand in the middle, and then we put a tree stand over there, maybe another 200 yards or so, 300 yards from my brother to hunt. So we were spaced out quite considerably along this ridge, but we knew my dad was in the middle. We knew how to get to my dad. So he said, you know, if there's anything happens, you get a deer or whatever, you know where to find me. Yeah, no problem, no problem, right? This this is before cell phones and technology or even two-way radios, you know? Well, Maryland gun season always opens up Saturday after Thanksgiving in Maryland. Always has. As far as I know, it always will. I, I don't know why, but that's just when it was. Well, tradition was, and we started it that year, the first year I was going to hunt, is Thanksgiving morning. You get the hell out of the house because mom's got to cook Thanksgiving dinner. And she doesn't want a bunch of people around the house causing commotion and whatever else. And my dad had to find a way for us to get out of the house and do something. So that's what we did. He's like, okay, boys, we're going to go over here to this property. And we're going to do some final preparations for the season. We're like, okay, you know, we're, we're all excited. You know, I mean, it's my first deer hunt. I, I'm I'm pumped, right? So we finally show up over there and he breaks out a couple 
small little one ounce bottles of Beaver's Bucklore. The gentleman named Mr. Beaver that made this Bucklore from about 30 minutes from where we lived at. You know, it, this is before Tinks and all that stuff come around, or maybe it was still around when Tinks, I don't know. But this is the real deal. This is the real McCoy, you know? So uh, he gave us each a little one ounce bottle and broke his box out of his bag. And he said, okay, well, here, hold your foot up. And he slapped a darn maxi pad on the bottom <laughs> of my boot. I didn't know what it was. I mean, shoot, I was 11 years old, right? So he's like, now you take your little bottle and you squeeze a couple drops on that pad. You just walk down through the woods. You know where the stand's at that you're going to be hunting at. You just meander all around the woods. And every so often, you just put a couple drops on these pads here on the bottom of your boots. Man, I, I had no idea, right? I was like, okay. So I went and hid through a big man-made pond down on this property. I walked down around the pond and was looking. Man, you're an 11-year-old kid, and you're wandering around the woods. I mean, you don't really do that too much nowadays, you know? But my dad knew that we knew where we were going. We'd been back here enough times, and he was in the woods with us. You know, he could holler at us. So I just, every hundred yards or so, I put a couple drops on there walk again because if you find a deer trail walk along it for a while if you see a buck rub walk over to it maybe put a couple drops around on the ground and then just go ahead and just weave around through the woods and go up to your stand it's like this sounds pretty easy right okay that's what we did that's what we did on thanksgiving morning right well then the big day comes saturday morning Dan's first deer hunt, right? Man, I was up 3.30 in the morning, right? It doesn't get light till like 7 something, but it doesn't matter. You know, you're up and you're at it. You're dressed in some old walls, bib coveralls. You know, you got old bright orange stocking cap on and a big old green jacket. No camo, not a stitch of camo on, right? He said, you know where you're going? go to your stand right he goes and when you get down there he goes here's two film canisters that i want you to put out by your stand it's like what's in the film canisters don't open them up so you get over there near your stand i said okay you know he walked in shortest route to his stand along with my brother i walked a long way around get up in there Man, he put darn cotton balls down in them old 35-millimeter film canisters with buffalo in them. You talk about stinking. I was like, dang, God, oh, this is terrible. Well, I set one out down there by the one road, and I went on up there by the stand. I set another one. I was like, Phew. I I made sure the wind was blowing away from me on that because, man, that, that beaver's buffalo was right. Well, sat there and sat there and sat there. Don't see nothing. Not seeing nothing all day. And my dad was a he was a very, he was a real stickler. Like he wanted you to do something, he wanted you to do it right. You know, I mean, we went through multiple times. He'd pull up, he'd be flipping through a magazine and be like, "Here's a picture of deer. Where would you shoot it at?" And you'd have to point on the picture. You know, this this is where I would shoot that. Thing. 
you know, riding the virus. It's like, okay, good, good. I mean, over and over and over again, you know, repetition, repetition, repetition. Well, I'm sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, and, you know, I'm not cold. I'm all bundled up like a snowman up in there, kind of like old Ralphie. Not Ralphie, but his little brother. His little brother. Yeah, Yeah, his little brother. That's kind of how I'm sitting up in this old stand. It was like two by fours and a piece of plywood up in three trees, right? I mean, it was comfortable as could be. I'm sitting on a bucket turned upside down. I'm like, man, this is great. I got a little old army military pack with some with a turkey sandwich and some snack sized candy bars and some fruit in it and a bottle of water. There you go. There's your lunch for today. Make sure it lasts, right? I didn't have nothing else. That that was hunting for me. But you know what? It was the best hunting in the world. While I'm sitting there, like, man, I'm about ready for lunch. I start hearing something come crunching over the ridge. And I look, I'm like, well, shoot, that's a deer. Finally, seeing a deer. And uh, back in the day, it was buck only. There was no doe season back then. It was buck only. Um, There was a couple of doe days, but they were very limited, late late in rifle season. So my dad said, you know, when you see a deer, make sure if you pull that trigger, make sure it's a buck. So... That buck comes closer and closer. It turns out it's a buck. It's it's a darn nice buck too, you know. So it comes down, and there I am with this big overkill for me at the age. I'd say two fifty seven, Weatherby Mag, and that buck comes down, and I hold the gun up and I'm looking at it through the scope, and I see hair. And I just pull the trigger, you know, and bam, that buck hits the hits the ground like a ton of bricks. Just knocked him right on down. He's down there kicking and kicking and kicking. I'm like, I didn't shoot him in the vitals. I know I didn't shoot him in the vitals. My dad's going to beat the bejesus out of me because I didn't shoot him in the vitals like I was supposed to do, right? So I crank another shell through there. And I'm shaking like crazy now because, like I said, I, I don't get nervous until after I pull that trigger. Well, the second shot, who knows where that shot went? It's it's gone. Who knows where? It's somewhere in the direction of that deer down there. Well, finally, the deer stops kicking. I shot that deer right in the neck, and he just dropped like a ton of bricks on down in the ground. I thought, man. So the other thing, Dad said, it's when you shoot and you pull that case, you ratchet that bolt, you make sure you get that casing up off the ground because that brass, I'm going to reload that. He reloaded all of his own shells. And and I still got manuals, and he can tell you exactly how many grains of powder and what bullet was in what rounds for 20 years. And, uh, man, I couldn't find that shell. And I was like, man. I don't even care about the deer down on the ground at 50 yards away. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through the leaves for the shell, right? I'm like, oh, my God, where's the shell? At? The deer's done. I mean, it ain't getting back up. It's done. It's, it's stopped moving by now. So here I am, 11 years old. I'm like, well, okay. Yes, I did take the round out of the chamber before I lowered the gun on the string down, the, down out of the stand. Um, 
got all down there and looked at it. And I was like, man, it's 10 points. I was like, that's, that's a nice buck right there, right? And my dad said, if you shoot a buck or if you shoot a deer, you slit his ear and you tag him right there before you even move him. And then you come get me out of my stand. Well, that's what I did. I took that knife and I thought I was just, you know, Indiana Jones with that big old knife. And I just run right through his ear, put a tag in it, tuck the tag back down his ear because that's what my dad had to do when he was dragging the deer out. You got to tuck the tag down inside their ear canal so it doesn't fall out or pull out while you're dragging them. I was like, well, okay, I'm going to go get my dad now because I got a deer down. That's what I'm supposed to do. I trudge on up through the woods, get to the base of this tree, and I look up at him. I say, hey, I, I shot a deer. He says, well, did you find it? I said, yeah, I already put a tag in. He said, well, how big is it? I said, what's well, 10 point? He goes, oh, I guess this is the first time I'll kill something. He goes, oh, it's bullshit. <laughs> I said, no, I ain't lying to you. It was about high noon when I shot that deer. He heard me shoot. Of course he had to hear me shoot. I mean, we weren't that far apart. He said, I ain't getting out of this stand if you ain't got nothing on the ground. I said, I'm telling you, I got a deer on the ground. I said, I don't put a tag in it. Well, this stand that my dad was in, it, it wasn't for the faint of heart by no means. It, it was a couple two by four blocks that were nailed into the tree that then went to a 20 foot rope ladder that then went to a couple more two by four beams that went to a platform. It was about 30 foot up. I mean, it, 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 it scared the bejesus out of me when I tried to get anything. He goes, you know, about noon, noon time, I eat lunch at 1230. I try to take a nap till about two o'clock to them deer start moving again. I said, dad, I'm telling you, I got a deer on the ground right now. <laughs> so finally I convinced him to come on down out of the stand so the whole time he's like well where'd you hit it at you know he's asking me all these questions like, I, I don't think I made a real good hit on it he goes well is it down it's like yeah it's down it's down over there about that time he could finally start to see the antler sticking up off the ground he took off in a dead sprint <laughs> and he grabbed a hold of that thing and he was like Oh my God, boy, what'd you do? You know, I said, well, I did what you told me to do. I shot a deer, you know, and I think really that's what really hooked me on hunting. Um, before that I was, but that was the first time that I really felt like this is something I wanted to continue to do. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that you can't, you can't put a price tag on that feeling that you get. Um, but it took me a lot of years to really realize what I had done because that was my first day out in the woods. That was my first ever deer. And, you know, that deer still hangs on the wall right now. I mean, he, he looks like crap. I mean, he's a darn near 30-year-old male. He needs to be redone. But there's something about that deer that, that nobody can ever take back from me. You know, that, there's a lot of memories right there that you can't get back so uh, but that the 11. look on his face is was just priceless you know and of course 
he forgot the camera. This is before cell phones. He forgot the camera. So he gutted the deer because I didn't know what to do. He gutted the deer and made me sit there for about an hour and a half while he drove home and got the camera and come back so we could get pictures with it, right? You know, the old gripping grins. We won't even get started on those. But, you know, we drugged that deer all around the county for the next day. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't actually skin it out until the following day. He was so proud of that deer. I don't even think he cared about the meat after that. You know, he was just so proud of it. We took it over there to Mr. Beaver, took it around to this friend, to that friend. I mean, he it's as if he had shot the deer himself. himself which, yeah, proud of his boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was he was elated with that. So that's awesome story, <laughs> man. Yeah. That's some yep. yeah that that's priceless right and and that's probably I, I imagine I mean if that was me I'd I'd be thinking about that every time I step in the woods man that's one of those things that'll you know as an eleven year old boy hunting with your dad I, I'd imagine that you're more worried about him being pleased than that than that you know big buck laying on the ground to a point. Well, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Did I do the right thing? Did did and. Of course, I ripped the big old hole in his ear, and my dad's like, "Well, why'd you do that?" Well, that's what you told me to do. You know, you told me to make sure you tag that buck. You know, before you move it, you gotta tag that buck. But uh, yeah, it's it's amazing the memory that you have about every detail and event that can happen twenty, thirty years ago because. It's so important to you, you know, and that's really what hunting does. It really does bring out a lot of, a lot of great memories and a lot of great thoughts. So, yeah, my dad, unfortunately passed away back in 2016. Um, we didn't always have the best relationship later on. Um, but I do miss hunting with him. He was a lot of fun to hunt with. I mean, he was a wealth of knowledge. That man, he he shot some nice bucks. Um, and he definitely taught me a lot and molded me into the person that I am today because of it. So, uh, yeah, 2016 was a rough year for sure. I, I lost him, and then I lost a bunch of properties, uh, hunting properties, right after that. Um, so I went into 2016 season saying, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to be hunting public, boys. And that's what I did opening day. I hunted public on opening day. So, uh, yeah. Good deal, but, man. That That's an awesome story. Like that, yeah, the value in that and the memories and, and you know, sharing that, man, I appreciate that. You sharing that here. That's, that's huge, absolutely. man. That is huge. Yeah. So we're pushing, we're pushing two hours and 45 minutes, man. I don't know how many people are going to be hanging in there. Hopefully they stay long enough. I'm going to, I'll make it a point to put that in the show notes to listen to the, the whole episode, man. Cause that's, that's a great story there. Well, that was on, that was on page one. That was like the intro and background was the first <laughs> year and the first day, but Hey, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to make sure we get it thrown in there somewhere, you know? Um, or else we'll just have to do a follow-up sometime because I never did 
talk about turkey hunting versus elk hunting. Yeah, we'll have to do that. That's uh yeah. That's a that's a big old debate. <laughs> we might <laughs> it have, is. We might have to get your boy Jonathan on for that one, man. <laughs> we might have to do yeah, we might we might have to get a couple people on for yeah, that for yeah. sure. Yeah. But no, just real quick though, I'll I'll throw it out there. You know, I I dislike the people that say that elk that turkey hunting is comparable to elk hunting. It's not. There's no way, shape, or form it is. You cannot compare one one species of hunting to the next species of hunting. You can you can compare eastern hunting and find similarities in western hunting. You can find similarities in turkey hunting and, and elk hunting in the fact that you're communicating with them. But you know, we also communicate with whitetail. We also communicate with coyotes or predator hunting when you put out that call guess what you're communicating with they may not be talking back but you know what i've had a lot of coyotes howl back or vocalize back to me so really that's that's comparable to turkey hunting it's comparable to elk hunting in a in a degree and in no way shape or form am i ever going to say well this little 20 pound bird equals a 1200 pound bull no no, I'm not dumb. I understand the difference. And I have heard elk bugle because I have been out west before, um, not to hunt, but for other reasons. And that's the reason why I understand the difference for sure. I mean, you, you can find similarities, but please, people, don't don't try to compare the two together. And that that's an eastern boy, for real, trying to say that. There so. you go. Good deal, man. Yep. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, we'll be dropping the collective episode five in a week, man. So get uh, get on there. Looking check out that book. book. Definitely check out that book. Um, and then listen to yep. uh, listen to Jimmy's uh, deer card episode. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, I got deer cards. Don't worry, I do have my own deer cards. Yeah, you're bringing them but, out west um, to te- uh, to pack out an elk. <laughs> No, no, I'm not. Hey, they'll work for small bear, um, but even big bears, good luck with that. You you better find you a couple sleds or a four-wheel or something to get that bad boy out of there. But um, for sure, definitely. Well, I appreciate hey, the time, Dan. It's been great, man. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on here. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I didn't think that I was going to make it this long. I thought, well, we might have something to talk about for 45 minutes. Ah, so, no. Hey, you know, there's a lot. I mean, hey, if you think about it, you could take an episode, man. An episode could be four or five hours. Um, keeping oh, everybody yeah. interested, but you start talking about hunting oh, yeah. and then we get into, you know, contrast and comparison, Western and Eastern. And, you know, I start picking yeah. your brain about getting up them. $25 scary ass tree stands, man. You can go on forever. So. <laughs> Sketchy ass tree stands. Yeah. We will, I'll change y'all's mind. Y'all come over y'all to East. I'll, I'll put y'all up and I'll put you in a couple stands. That big oak stand I got that's 30 feet up around a 12 foot around oak tree. Nah, you won't want to sit in there very long. Trust me. You'll be, you'll be begging for a harness and a lifeline to come on down out of there for sure I, i'm definitely yeah. not against it but yeah getting me up 30 feet man i might be a little worried about it <laughs> yeah good deal brother we'll get this well thank you very much yeah. man thank I you do appreciate the time. yes sir we'll talk to you all right thank you buddy. thank you <laughs> you
you can catch up with Dan on Instagram at Straight Arrow Adventures or on the Go Wild app at Dan Trout. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hi, this is Weston Jenkins with Disabled Outdoorsman founder of an organization where we choose and let individuals come in the outdoors. We have many people across the nation that refuse to give up and our brand is going to represent them and now you can too. You can go to our website at www.disabledoutdoorsman.com or you can find us on Instagram at disabledoutdoorsmanusa. We want you to be a part of the cause with us and let's make a difference one day at a time.